You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! What's up, y'all? Doc Coyle here, the X-Man, coming in live. Full effect. That's right, baby. I'm here, and I'm here to win. Well, not so much. Listen, listen I'm here. All right, let's just let's not get uh, all filled up with, with uh, hyperbole. I'm just, I'm just happy to be here. I just got out of an MRI machine. Guys, I've never had an MRI before, all right? And no one fucking told me, all right? There was no instructions. There was no, like, hey, man, um... It's basically going to be like Skrillex is in your left ear and 2001 Space Odyssey is in your right ear and you're going to be vibrating and it's going to be it's going to be fucked up. So I I got my back and my neck done and and hopefully uh, I don't you know, I'm not that fucked up. We'll see. Or at least if I am fucked up, I at least know know what it is. But so that 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 happened to me today. And uh, thankfully, you know, it's it's been it's a long time coming. But, yeah, it's been a crazy couple of weeks to kind of re-backtrack i this show is late primarily because i thought my hard drive died over the weekend and uh thankfully there was a bracket a piece that was a 70 17 part and uh some money for labor uh to figure it out but i had to get it into an apple store and then out here it's like you look it up and it's like they can't get you in for a week so I, it, was, it was just a lot of running around but thank god my, my computer didn't die luck everything was backed up it wasn't like i was going to lose anything it would have just been a bitch to deal with i would have had to buy a new hard drive have it installed back it up from the time machine it's just been a whole fucking thing but so thank thankfully that didn't happen the show survived but it's just been crazy i leave i, I got back from ship rocked um you know, less than a week ago, like four or five days ago, and then I have to go back out again in four or five days. So I, I don't have any time at all. Oh, and by the way, let's um give a shout out to to Shiprocked. That was amazing. I've never been on a cruise before. It was so much fun. And uh, I have to thank uh, Danny Hill over there, Chewy, who helped with the stowaways. I, I met the guy who actually runs, who owns Shiprocked, and I forget his name, but thank you to him, uh, all the bands. Seriously, there was nothing but good fucking vibes on that boat. There was I didn't see anyone sad. I didn't see anyone arguing. It was just a you know, the thing that's cool about Shiprock is most of the people I met had been on it for years. So that everyone seemed to kind of know each other and you know, you felt like you were kind of 
being brought into this this family you know and there was you know who was on there was like suicidal tendencies and papa roach and nothing more seven dust um royal thunder had a really great set it was really cool seeing them i got some cool podcast done done on there i don't know if i should spoil it maybe I'll, uh, you know but i got i got clint lowry coming up you know from seven dust that was, that's been a big request i got dave ellison from megadeth and i got ben wyman from dylan just skate plan so some serious x-men you know even though dave ellison he was like x and then he came back but you know x-men nonetheless so we have some great shows coming up. But yeah, I had a great time on, on Ship Rocked. And then I, I leave for Australia. Battles is going to play with Nickelback um, in a couple of days, which I'm, I'm excited for. But I'm just, I have no time. I'm losing my mind. And, uh, you know, that's just how it goes sometimes. So I don't, I don't have a big spiel today, but I just wanted to give you a, a an update because it's been fucking crazy. So I'm actually going to talk about this week's show sponsor yes we have a show sponsor because that's what's going on right everybody wants to be on this goddamn show motherfuckers calling me emailing me fucking faxing me sending, selling sending telegrams and shit fucking leaving goddamn messages under my door anyway okay this is actually really good. i'm not i'm not upset guys it's just late and it's just been a lot so I'm, you know we're gonna figure it out anyway <laughs> see i hope this band this band that i'm about to promote isn't gonna be upset because i'm like not presenting the property let me get let me get cheery for them so <laughs> we have a band called catalysis from dundee scotland that sounds exciting um and i'm gonna play a track from them entitled deadline check it out
So that was Catalysis with their track Deadline from their 2018 self-titled EP. And that was mixed and mastered by Mendel from Aborted. And so you know it's spelled C-A-T-A-L-Y-S-I-S. And you can check them out on Facebook at Catalysis Metal. In, on Instagram at Catalysis Band, and you can buy their merch at CatalystisBigCartel.com. And of course, they're in all the places to stream music, Spotify, iTunes. Definitely check them out. Really appreciate them supporting the show. It means the world. And if you want to support the show, holla at your boy. Hit me up on social media or drop an email at thexmanpodcast at gmail.com. Remember, that's EX. And there's actually one more sponsor. There's been a recurring sponsor, a record label called um, Minus Head Records. And you've heard uh, some of the bands I've played over the last year. I played Will Haven from them and Terra Universal and All Hell the Yeti. They have some great bands. Right now, I'm going to play a band called Insight. And this band's been around forever. I think this is their, their fifth album. They have an album coming out entitled Built to Destroy. And this is actually the title track. Check it out.
So that was In Sight with Built to Destroy, the title track from their new album, which I'm sorry, is actually is already out. It was released January 25th on Minus Head Records. I really like that song. And I also liked uh, the Catalyst's song from before. Both song, both bands are bringing the fucking heavy, and I really appreciate it. Um, In Sight, you can check them out on... Uh, insight.bandcamp.com you can buy the record they will also be hitting the road in the states uh this coming up month with soulfly and unearth and they will also be headed to europe um in springtime with septic flesh flesh and crisian so definitely support the bands that support this show and please support the sponsor of our show minus head records at minushead.com all right so did, didn't mean to bludgeon you guys with all these these uh the sponsors, but not for nothing. This, these are the things that, that keep the show running and definitely keep the lights on over here at the X-Man Palace. And it is, and it's very palatial. I just want you guys to know that. So without a further ado, I'm going to get into this talk with my friend, Mike Montoya. Uh, yeah. The, so this, this show is entitled who invented Metalcore," which if you guys don't know, uh, Alex from Atreyu kind of made a comment on, um, <clears throat> I forget where it was, some interview that Atreyu invented metal, metalcore. I don't think he was really being serious. I think he was just kind of being tongue-in-cheek. And I I made some comments on Twitter, and it kind of blew up into the story. And then a good friend of mine, Finn McKenty, on his YouTube page did a video. Uh, his, his YouTube page is called uh, Punk Rock NBA. He did a video about the quote-unquote death of metalcore or how it's kind of fallen off. And he kind of retracts some of the history. And Mike and I had kind of had discussions about the history of metalcore and the different phases so that's where this the, the genesis of this conversation uh came up and i thought it'd be interesting to just bring you guys into this and you know hopefully you find it as interesting as i do following the history and uh yeah this was really fun and uh, if you don't know mike plays uh guitar in winds of plague i i'm pretty sure i, I mentioned it in the beginning of the interview so i'm not going to do too much of a, of a of an intro so please enjoy my conversation with mike montoya So we emerge in the uh, San Fernando Valley of Los Angeles, California, in a smoke-filled room. I'm not going to say what the smoke is. <laughs> uh, got my boy uh, Mike Montoya here, um, plays guitar in Winds of Plague, and is also a producer. Um, I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about your background before we before we get, get going. Um, yeah, so what were, what were you doing before Winds of Plague? Um, before Winds of Plague, I played in a, uh, like a moshy beatdown hardcore band called Goliath. Yeah, I, I checked it out. Checked out some of it. That shit was very beatdown-ish. Yeah. <laughs> we, uh, we were pretty like regionally popular and we toured around the country and stuff, but it wasn't, we weren't signed to like a major or anything From around like here? Yeah, we were from here. We are from the Valley and, um, did that and I started producing hip hop like a little bit before I was in Winds of Plague and just kind of followed through doing that and now it's kind of where I do Winds of Plague and produce for a living you know so uh like doing the genre split thing how did you uh hook up with winds of plague well i used to live with the old bass player and work out of uh the studio that we had at the house there and i would just end up working on winds of plague stuff you know just being around and john um the singer we were going to start a side project together and then which just ended up turning into me playing guitar for winds of plague i've been in the band about like four and a half years or so now yeah. um so it kind of was like a natural thing you know when it came time like it went on a hiatus for a little bit and then the other guitar players uh 
went off to do some other stuff with their life, you know, which is great. And then, but I, I was super down, you know, so that was kind of how I ended up being in the band was originally a side project turned into me joining the band. Right on. Well, so I, I met you when I moved out to LA and essentially what um, inspired doing this, this podcast was me and you would just, we just start talking about the scene and talking about music. And, you know, I remember, I think we were out in front of the, the Viper Room. Yeah, and that's we, right. Yeah, and we and we kind of did a version of this podcast before it, where we, we were yeah, trying, totally. and, I, and I don't even remember what inspired it, what what was going on at the, at, at the time. Um, I think I was just a kid with a lot of questions because you're like an OG and stuff. So <laughs> I was like, so what happened? Because I'm, I think we're both pretty interested in like the history of, because you have to kind of understand like where stuff has been to see where it's going. Yeah. So I think uh, we definitely have had multiple conversations about this. Yeah, and I'm I'm like anything. I think no matter what I'm interested in, whether it's films or comic books or sports, I always want to know the history and kind of be able to tie everything together because I don't think you can really talk uh, about any relevant subject matter without understanding kind of before and the and, and the roots. And that, that's always fascinated me about in general stuff. But this you know particular subject matter, which is is metalcore, you know. The reason why I wanted to have this discussion now is really a, a couple of reasons. I think recently there was a kind of a brouhaha around Alex from Atreyu yeah. saying they invented metalcore, and that so that kind of spurred a, a conversation online. And then recently, uh, a good buddy buddy of ours, uh, Finn McKenty, who has a great YouTube channel yeah. called the Punk Rock NBA, did a uh, video entitled "What Killed Metalcore," yeah. um, which is part of his series of "What Killed the." the totally. genre yeah <laughs> the sub the, the the subgenre and we listen we can even get into whether even that is even accurate if it's if it's yeah. actually been 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 killed yeah. but basically i want to use his video um and you guys should check it out i'll put a link in yeah. the uh the and show notes for you guys to the, check out and like the video before that was like i did an interview kind of more focused on like my uh morgoth beats which is my producer name doing like the trap metal and emo rap thing that i kind of do a lot which was uh, an interesting conversation too because i feel like that kind of ties into what we're talking about as like a future yeah thing but uh yeah shout out to finn finn's an awesome guy by the way there's there's nothing for me that made me feel older than watching that video and <laughs> hear about all the, the 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 artists i don't know yeah <laughs> <laughs> um but no it was still it was still interesting to uh to to, to listen to but you definitely you start you know i, th I think you know you, once you age to a certain point once once the people just start looking too crazy you're like yo that motherfucker looks too crazy yeah. that's how you know you're getting old right because you imagine if you was like 40 around the time marilyn manson came out right you're just like yo that motherfucker he's just too crazy yeah i'm done i can't i'm not gonna try and figure it out yeah i'm out i'm out yeah yeah that's just how it is you get old this is gonna happen to you eventually i'm just I hope not, but we'll see. Watch, motherfuckers gonna have holograms coming out their forehead and shit, <laughs> and you know it's gonna get real weird. You know, yeah, I believe it. But um, so 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 let's kind of uh, and the, the idea is not to kind of uh, relitigate this because uh, Finn in his video he essentially says, "Hey, I'm I can't list all the bands." Yeah. You know, he's not trying to do some super super deep dive. He was really kind of doing a you know um, a broad a, brush exactly, and so. But we're just gonna use as 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 a reference point, to kind of discuss each era. So he kind of starts it from the early years, which he says from 1990 to 2000, and the bands he mentions, um, kind of the almost I guess what you say, 
either early metalcore or proto metalcore. He mentions yeah. Agnostic Front, DRI, and suicidal tendencies. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, I'd say from from my end, you know, I wasn't there. Yeah. For that, and that's really, in many respects, you kind of rely on the, on the people around you. Right. Um, and I would say, the next group of bands he he mentions um, in this era. Um, or all he he kind of breaks it down from uh, actually no before we get into that let's just actually just talk about the kind of I would say the proto okay. the, the, the the proto years. Um, I definitely is, think crossover is the is an accurate term, which basically means proto metalcore to me. Like in terms of all the bands that were just listed, I I think that was uh, maybe a little bit different. Like then I think the thing that kind of changed, like the sea change from crossover to metalcore was thrash based music versus like groove based music you yeah. know where like dri and agnostic front and suicidal all have like a punk kind of backbeat to it like there isn't a whole lot of like two and four snares or snare halftime snares you know a lot of it is just based on faster stuff which has that punk feel and then i think when maybe like groove metal can be associated with this when that came around in the late 80s and then the next generation of bands come, I think that's when you get a little bit of a sea change in terms of uh, the labeling and just like a aud audible difference between like that and what was coming, you know? What, well, do, you but, what do you think of that? But let me, well, the thing is, so we, we talk about those three bands that he mentioned there and that's not even 90s. That's basically 80s. going back to the 80s, right? Yeah. Um, but a band, I think, the other band you kind of hear about as part of that is Chromax. Yeah, a lot of people say, "Well, that was the first metalcore." Yeah, yeah. The, the band that really kind of because even when you listen to older Agnostic Front, it still doesn't come off as metal. It still feels like punk. Yeah, and uh, just well, just hardcore. Yeah. Um. So that's that's a band that, that gets that gets mentioned a lot. Um. And again, and this is with the caveat of I wasn't there, and I'm and I'll be honest, this style of hardcore is not my favorite and when you don't have the um the attachment maybe yeah you're you know you you tend to kind of you know things age in a certain way and listen i've been super lucky to uh do shows with agnostic front and suicidal and it's fucking amazing like just mm -hmm. being around that being around the culture being around the history and and understanding that uh none of the things we're doing would have been there without that and i love kind of having um that experience but i the, i guess the, the the question i'm asking is is crossover something? Because I guess one of these bands, I forget which band it was, actually called one of their albums "Crossover," and that's oh, where DRI, it, yeah, so, yeah. So that's where it, that's where it kind of came from. Um, but are we looking back with kind? Are we changing the terms in hindsight? When back then it was literally, "Hey, we're going to take hardcore and we're going to take metal and kind of put them together," and that was the most um, that was the most advanced version of it. Or I can e even make a case that. In many ways, to me, thrash is kind of the original metalcore. Oh yeah, totally. Because they took punk and heavy metal, yeah. and put it together. Yeah, that was the first, definitely the first blend of those two. And I think that's essentially what we're going to be talking about the whole time is like when punk becomes metal and when metal, like when the streams cross, you know, because they started out as two separate forms of rock and roll, but they, I mean, other than I can't really think of actually anything else that probably has. A thinner line between them than the or as as much in like family history dna throughout like looking back punk and metal probably have the most 
cross like they go in and out of each other like throughout the decades you know and it's almost to this point where i feel like the differences are cultural more than sonic yeah based you know yeah um i think that's super relevant because you know uh I've said it on the on the podcast where I'll say it again is uh, half the crowd listens with their ears, the other half listens with their eyes, mm -hmm. and uh, so much. That's a good point. I've never thought of that, but that's well. Cool. Well, I think when you know aesthetic is so paramount mm -hmm. to this discussion. Like we're gonna, you know, if we talk about a band like Darkest Hour, a band like Black Dahlia Murder, um, I know Black Dahlia Murder has kind of just uh, been kind of brought into the metal scene or the death metal scene at large. But when they came out, they started playing with metalcore bands yeah. and that and that you know kind of scene bands yeah and the only difference between them and another death metal band perhaps is that they didn't look the part yeah like know? i think they're son i think they've been a melodic death metal band the whole time they've been a band i just think the culture they came from was more on the like metalcore end of things and that's probably why people associate them with that at all at this point because i think for a while they've been you know, they've been, in, I mean, now they're in the metal scene, obviously. But yeah, I think uh, the conversation is almost culturally different in a lot of ways. But, but let me ask you a question. Is it, is it, is that relevant, right? Like, should we think of the cultural relevance less and put the focus more on the way it sounds? Or is it, or is it okay to kind of use that cultural point, you know, that's, point of view? In, that's really interesting to me because I, I definitely get the cultural aspect of it being that like, like with my, for to relate it personally with Goliath, we played a lot in the like underground, like hardcore scene, like kind of in like this middle ground. So I see the cultural differences and especially too with Winds of Plague, it's like very apparent when we have headlining shows and stuff, like which fans come from like which tours and which side of the coin, you know? I think that the cultural difference really weighs out more than the sonic difference because if you listen to a band like to talk about like a modern band or like a code orange or like a knocked loose like a band like that right now they come from hardcore culture more but like if you listen to them musically and you put them in front of a metal audience they're not going to see them that way because they don't sound like that yeah it's harder they're, they're more they have much more in common with metal than punk yeah. so i think you can really split the coin. Yeah, I think there is relevance to, to the separation, but I don't think it should dictate, like, you know, the conversation. Yeah. I think maybe the music is more important, or I, li I like the music to well, be that, more important. Well, that's how I want to approach this, because I think, listen, I, you can un kind of understand, you know, generally this is about a scene, mm -hmm. right? That's what this whole conversation is about, right? It's yeah. like how these scenes uh, splintered off into these other, you know, uh, sections and how, and how it, it evolved. Um, going back to those those previous grouping of bands, which I guess we can call crossover yeah. or, or proto uh, metalcore, uh, there's a couple bands that I don't think he mentioned that I think are super important, and I think maybe even um, apply even maybe more so than some of these bands. I, I mentioned Chromax, mm -hmm. but I think one of the other ones is Leeway. Oh, Leeway was yeah. Um, I think another one is Sod. Oh yeah. Um, and the other one is Biohazard. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, kind of things with, um, with Biohazard, cause they, I think their first record actually came out in 90. I think it actually is 90. I'd it's have like, to check, but it so it's, probably so right. it's, it's right around, it's right around that time that kind of going from the eighties mm -hmm. into the nineties, seeing this, you know, cause you generally had a culture change happening in heavy music in general. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, hair metal's dying down, thrash metal had kind of hit its peak yeah. and all those bands were changing. Groove is, groove is becoming a thing. Yeah. yeah um so so i think you know 
just kind of having those like where a band like SOD, I think at the time was probably just viewed as a thrash band. Yeah, or a lot of those bands I think are still just seen as hardcore bands, you know. I think a lot of kids from the hardcore scene would argue to the death that they're just a hardcore band. But I think you can dig in a little deeper and it's a little deeper than that, in my opinion. Yeah. I think that uh yeah, I agree. I think biohazard might be a, a sea change in in ter- terms of like because they have I think it's that that beat. I think it's just like what the Well they were so they lived in the halftime. Yeah. Right. They lived More, in the halftime, yeah. You know, and and and, and groove. So I, I did an article, I've talked about this so much on the show, this article uh from VH1 about groove metal. Mm-hmm. And that all these groove groove metal bands, whether it's Machine Head, whether um it's Prong, yeah, you know Pantera. Yeah, um White Zombie, where they all kind of stemmed from other genres mm-hmm. and then kind of blended into that. But then that whole scene kind of dissipated and they all had to kind of find their their little, you know, uh, enclave, you know, yeah. to kind of be a part of because it's really the groove metal came from thrash, yeah. kind of thrash slowing down. You could call it like post-thrash almost. Yeah, you... yeah. That's actually literally what I called the article. I was like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, post-thrash uh, groove metal. Um, but anyway, so... The next phase, you know, he does, this is actually, he doesn't break it up into a different year, but he just uh, breaks it up into a region. So he starts with uh, East Coast, mm-hmm. which you could really say is where this style kind of uh, germinated from. Yeah. and got it, got it start. I uh, mentioned that the most important bands are Earth Crisis and Converge. Um, I can't disagree with that. Um, and then it goes on to mention Hatebreed. Marauder, All Out War, yeah. Vision of Disorder, Overcast, Rorschach, Sons of Abraham. Yeah. Um, for the Midwest, he mentions Integrity, Ringworm, Disembodied, Abnegation. He's like, Abnegation's sick. Yo, he played that shit. That shit was not sick. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm going on the red. That shit was butt doo-doo. Those, the filtered uh, guitars with that scooped. Dude, <laughs> it was just not good. I just think motherfuckers have... Gla- you know, like, you know those like those nostalgia glasses on when they were in like some VFW hall and they thought abnegation was good, but it was not good. I'm sorry, just gonna say it. Yeah. Uh, um, and a, a Midwest band I think he left out that's really important is Coalesce. I think that. Oh had, yeah, Coalesce is definitely um, holding it down for Kansas City. Um, West Coast, Unbroken, Gehenna, Botch, Fall Silent. By the way, the Fall Silent he played definitely held up. That shit was yeah, dope. that shit was dope. Um, the South. Morning Again, Day of Suffering, Bloodlet. I think key thing missing here is Shai Halud. Oh, they, yeah, totally. They really uh, held it down for Florida. Talk about like melodic metalcore and like where, where like counterparts and like stick to your guns and those kind of bands come from. It's definitely Shai Halud. Yeah, and even later, you know, you have Under Oath, who's from Florida, but we'll, mm-hmm. and Poison Well, we'll get there. Um, Europe, he mentioned Stamping Ground, Acme, Congress. Um, I was not around the Europe hardcore scene or metalcore scene around this time uh but I, you know me when i think of europe metalcore i think of heaven shall burn oh, and yeah. i think of caliban yeah heaven shall burn was definitely my introduction to if i'm if i'm being honest that was like the the first time i heard something from like germany where i was like oh wow this has a scene and then you, you know dig down a little bit and they've kind of had a scene for a while well no they so you know not to get too ahead of ourselves but in 2008 god forbid did a tour um called uh what was it? The he- Heaven on Earth or Hell on Earth? Hell on something like that yeah. tour. And it was all German metalcore. And they it's interesting actually to to see 
how essentially what was an American invention be interpreted through that prism because they had a very kind of purist mentality about it like it was you know i i hate to use the word um formulaic but it 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 had a very particular structure yeah like it was it was very like we know it's almost like they 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 heard what you know bands like unearthed and kill switch did and kind of extracted what they thought were the best parts of it and it was very streamlined Mm -hmm. um and i don't mean to kind of kind of put it down but it's it's kind of interesting to to hear how things uh get um reinterpreted through different cultures because it was a band called maroon was on that tour um heaven shall burn headlined a band called cataract from um switzerland uh-huh. and uh and you know we did not fit in because we were too metal <laughs> but um so to kind of go go back to there so i'm from the east coast so uh, i have and you know one thing finn was re- really right about is how uh, your region really dictated what your influences were, yeah. what you were hearing, what you were getting exposed to, and which bands kind of shined a little brighter. Yeah, in no, your no internet. No. Well, well, there was. I mean, and that's how, you know, it was. But back then, it was uh, there was a website called the East Coast Hardcore website. There was a Pennsylvania Hardcore uh, website, and basically, I would go onto those websites to see what shows were were going around, and also try and find venues and promoters to to play and then there were chat rooms you know so you go on aol would have all these you know metal and yeah hardcore and i met a lot of people my brother met a lot of people on those kind of avenues okay cool um but anyway but but no we're just saying region was so so important so i have really all the bands he mentioned um on the east coast section that was essentially my era right. but a little late because i think when hatred was first getting going when marauder was at full tilt mm-hmm. we're talking like 95 and i didn't really get into the scene until 97 okay. or 96 i'm sorry okay uh so this is kind of mid mid 90s kind of bleeding into in into the the late 90s okay um and so what was so you're a west coast guy yeah do you Obviously, you're younger than me, but mm-hmm. do you, just from being your area, was there a certain bands that you heard about or or that you felt were the most influential kind of in your sphere? Well, one thing uh, kind of interesting uh, for me is my first thing because I I lived up until like middle school in uh, southern Cal- in like the San Northern County San Diego area, which there was a really thriving uh, like punk scene like the street punk scene like the skate scene and stuff so that's kind of how i got introduced to a lot of heavier music was through that and um the first shows i went to were around that time when i was like 12 or something like that and i started to learn a little bit about the underground got the taste for it but then i moved to like uh, northern new mexico taos uh which where like it's the middle of nowhere there's like five thousand people you know like a a music desert and a literal desert yeah i i had I, and just coming from California where it was like a wealth of that stuff and I want to start my own band and stuff, I just had to like get all my friends into the shit to like start a band. And there was like a scene in Albuquerque, but it wasn't to the point where like I had the examples of like all these success, like bands touring everywhere and stuff around me. So I kind of just looked through like the eyes of a fan at like Southern California and like at the East Coast and like the Midwest and just kind of like, I like all these bands, like that's what I wanted to do, you know? where like hate breed was a big one for me which i think was where i kind of learned to as i like learned what um, album were you getting into hate breed on uh probably 
You know, I, I found out about them on Headbangers Ball, like, to be okay, honest. Okay, so you're, so you're talking after 2002. Yeah, it was probably around... Actually, two, 2003, three, four, three. Like I was, like, 13, 14 at yeah. that time. I was born in 1990. So, um, they were already pretty successful at that point. But the thing I thought was interesting, as I dig deeper, I kind of... That was where I kind of realized that the, the band that gets the biggest in a style isn't necessarily the the pioneer of it, you know, usually... But at the time, I mean, I mean if you were to consider them... A hardcore band right mm-hmm. just by on on that basis which i i think in you know i call hate the motorhead of, of hardcore mm-hmm. in that they kind of mean all things to all people yeah and they can they have a foot in the punk world they have a f- foot in the crossover world they have a foot in the hardcore scene they yeah. have a foot in the new metal world they have a yeah. foot in the um you know in the metalcore scene and new wave american heavy metal yeah and that's part of the reason why they're still really relevant and can still go all over the world and still have totally. an audience is that, you know, sometimes you can be a band where you're so diverse, you turn everyone off. Mm-hmm. And then some of you do the opposite where you're so diverse that it actually draws everyone in and you kind of, you get everyone, you don't lose anyone. Yeah, totally. Um, and to me, you know, this is kind of, I'd say maybe not even fast forward, but they were the band to me, like I wouldn't have described them as metalcore back then mm-hmm. to me they were a hardcore band and i think uh that's what i heard when i first because yeah. i was listening to them through a me being into like the casualties and the unseen and like these like street punk bands and like i i knew about like metal and stuff and i, I had a lot of friends who listened to it being in a small town you know everyone who listened to anything outside of the norm like we're friends so i kind of heard them through like that lens and i heard the punk in them like pretty clearly but it wasn't until i started like delving deeper into that where i was like oh, okay this is kind of you know something different but it, yeah, I feel like it scratched everyone's back. Like, well, well, I think, but this speaks to perspective, mm-hmm. right? And your perspective of how you're coming into it, right? Yeah, so totally. if you're like me, I'm coming from the other end where I yeah. was listening to Testament and Carcass and um, Morbid Angel and you know, uh, you know, Creator. I'm coming from a complete metal and even more rock. You know, I was listening to Alice in Chains and yeah. you know stuff like that. Um, to me, that sounded like hardcore. And then obviously once you learn more about the scene and then you you see Madball and those like there was a band from New Jersey called Vision or yeah. Ensign, all these, you know, kind of local bands where that was very straightforward, meat and potatoes, you know, um hardcore. So and Hatebreed to me wasn't far off from that. It was just angrier. Yeah. And heavier. And they had and there was something about uh, I think as a vocalist that Jamie did just grabbed like you could hear yeah. every word and it was uh, screamed in a way where it was actually pleasing to listen to. It yeah. wasn't too it didn't uh, throw you off too much. It had like a crossover. No, totally. I think his vocals were like maybe low pitch enough to have like that element of like death metal in them. But they were like very clear and very uh, the like what he was saying was really important too. I felt like so I could you really paid attention to what he was saying. And I thought that was a big part of like their whole image and like what, what kind of related to me to them at first was like, this feels similar to like listening to gorilla biscuits or something like that, like message wise, you know, in terms of like what, like I was getting out of it topically, but it, uh, at this time I was starting to get into like lamb of God and I'd already been more into my dad's like a rock blues player. So I'd been listening to like Slayer and Alice in Chains, all this stuff for like a long time before it was just kind of punk was just the thing that delved me to an underground scene. That wasn't something you could like find on just video games yeah. and skate videos and stuff like that, you know? 
But the, but the reason why I really wanted to talk about Hatebreed is for my scene, when I got into the scene around 96, 97, 98, they were the band that A, kind of made me realize I liked hardcore. Mm-hmm. Where, I was, where they were the most hardcore band that I was like, fuck yeah. It was yeah. the band that really made me want to go in a pit. Maybe like I remember a show, it was... Because back then, Hatebreed, would do, they would cancel all the time. They yeah. were, they're very unreliable, unfortunately. Really? But in a that. way, it helped them because it made them more legendary. Uh-huh. Because you're like, they never, oh, they were supposed to play and they didn't show up. Um, so this one particular show, they showed up. And it was, uh, I forget who opened uh, the beginning. Like, it was these shows at Middlesex County College where there's t- a million amazing shows. But this particular show, it was Cave-In on Until Your Heart Stops. Shy Halud at the peak of their powers when like, Chad Chad from Newfound Glory was singing. Okay, for them, awesome. And Hatebreed, and it was still to this day. I mean, I'm sure there's probably video. It's probably not as crazy as I remember. But when you're, you know, 17 years old, yeah, you you think it's the crazy. And I just remember just going off for Hatebreed. I remember <laughs> Caven bumming everyone out because they were playing all their space rock stuff and not playing their heavy songs. Mm-hmm. And Shy Halud, it was the it was. From like a hardcore show standpoint, it was probably one of the craziest shows I've ever seen. Was it? Uh, one thing I'm curious about is around that time, because I think this actually speaks to the uh, more than probably more than it should. It speaks to like the cultural division between hardcore and, and metal was were those shows a lot of like was hardcore dancing a really predominant thing or where is it? That's like, all there was. That's all it was. It, it was, was none of those. You got to remember, I mean, what makes um Hatebreed so pivotal is they were the first one to truly cross over. Yeah. So, so at that time you had Madball, VOD, um, and Earth Crisis were all on Roadrunner, mm-hmm. right? And then the other kind of big dog was Snapcase, right? Oh, yeah. And all those bands basically tapped out at around selling about forty, maybe fifty thousand records. That mm-hmm. was like the biggest. And then with Satisfactions of the Death Desire. They toured on the record, I want to say, for like four or five years, and it ended up selling. It was like the first of that group to sell 100,000. Actually, I should probably mention Sick of It All because they probably broke that kind of. Yeah. They were the other kind of band that, you know, Sick of It All did a lot of, you know, I think the the key was getting out of the scene, right? Being able to tour for more legit bands, whether they were metal bands, you know, like Sick of It All. Breaking that ceiling. Yeah. Um, And I feel like with, you know, when VOD did it, you know, they were... Everyone was trying to do that, mm-hmm. but Hatebreed was the first one where, hey, we're we're getting the Slipknot tour, we're getting the Mudvayne tour, and we're killing it. Yeah, we're stealing. You know, we're go doing that that show because there was a there was like a change in the guard. Yeah, right. Because you had new metal essentially had peaked, and you had, it was bringing all these new kids in, into uh, discovering heavy music. Yeah, but the you know at Outside of the mud veins and the slipknots, when you, when you went down the rabbit hole, a lot of the bands were shot and yeah. they weren't that cool. So then you see Hatebreed and you're like, holy shit, this is fucking cool. Yeah. This is, and then you kind of bring, so they really, they kind of uh, broke the glass ceiling. I think they're a great example of what happens when you put like a sick hardcore band that writes their music in like that with almost like a metal like mentality, but still is very much from the hardcore scene in front of a metal audience. I think you can definitely see that when like, cause I, I feel like a lot of times since metal like is a bigger style of music as a whole than what hardcore is, I would say like if you're just using it as the blanket term, you know, um, a lot of the metal 
people I've noticed don't have so much of a, at least at the top level, like don't have so much of a like concept of these like micro cultural divisions and where the, where the fork splits and like where like these different genres come in. If they just see like a heavy band with a big band that they already know, and they're not thinking of like, this is a hardcore band that's been playing in like basements and they come from this era, you know, they just see a sick band. And I think that kind of shows that the style when the music is presented to people in a live setting like that, I think that metalheads really do like hardcore because I think it's also like the best metal bands, in my opinion, are the bands that have a bit of both. You know, I think like it's same with hardcore. Like I feel like when the it's one of the best like marriages rocks ever had is when hardcore and metal kind of mixed together. Yeah, I mean, but that's what almost the point I was saying before why, for example, Slayer took Hatebreed out for a long time because they there's I think that you have one you have authenticity mm-hmm. right you you see those guys on stage you're like oh that's not that's real that's yeah that's who they are they grinded too um and then you you have a a charismatic great frontman who knows how to connect who you know you you kind of combine all these all these elements um and I think that's always that's almost always gonna gonna work yeah um but um but I do think there's a consistency between a band like Slayer where it's like were it's legit it's real it's the yeah. real shit and then you put another band that's also kind of the most pure version of that from their scene totally. and, and it's just it's aggressive music and it's it's catchy it's grooves it's beats yeah. it's not you know most of the divisions are are artificial i think no, and, i agree in many ways all right so not to kind of you know make this yeah, uh, go a, off a on hate pop but no but i think it's really important to yeah, kind of because they broke the glass scene they're they're a big band to talk about yeah, like, and, but you know the kind of like I said, I know Finn didn't want to, couldn't um, talk about everyone, but, not, but so just just talking pre two thousand, um, there's a few bands I think that are really important. You know, I would say um, were to me the bands that really changed things that would come in a in a different way mm-hmm. than than, than Hatebreed. I mentioned Cave In before, yeah, um, and in my opinion, and I, and I put this out on on Twitter when that thing. Uh, from Alex from Atreyu came out about metalcore in saying that I believe uh, Until Your Heart Stops is the first modern metalcore record. Yeah, I could definitely see that. Um, so I would I would, I would, definitely see that from their sound and like, because metalcore at this point is a very big umble- uh, umbrella term, like since it's been around so long. But I think Kaven definitely, definitely to, to what Atreyu started doing was I mean you could talk about Poison the Well too a little later. Well yeah, so but... that, no 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 actually Poison the Well uh, uh opposite December came out in nineteen ninety eight. Yeah, pre two thousand nine. Yeah, that's yeah, nine, nine, right? So this is this is what I'm saying is is it's important to talk about because the next shift, you know, he mentions is two thousand. So I want to talk about pre two thousand because right. essentially what that what this means is this was before all this stuff broke through and became quote unquote legitimate music or quote unquote pro- professionals. Cause uh, Hatebreed broke the glass ceiling from a, a record sales standpoint and from that end of it. I'm talking about pure creative yeah. uh, endeavors that uh, changed the game. And I think totally. Caven did. And, and I, I think it's one of those things where if you were there, you were there. If you weren't, you weren't. Um, and I get it. So some people will, they're like, well, I never heard that record. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of this thing, well, you didn't hear it, but the band you eventually liked 
Yeah. They either they heard or the band that they influenced heard yeah. it. But to like me, a just, band's band. Cavens is probably I think a band's band. Yeah, but it it to me it put all the elements. You had breakdowns. Mm-hmm. You had technical riffing. A lot of people think, and I'm this is my opinion, and it's it's not set in stone, but a lot of people think for it to be metalcore, it has to the riffing has to be Gothenburg inspired or melodic. Yeah, I don't think that at yeah, all. And I don't and I don't think that's true. It just has to be metallic and thrashy and yeah. technical and competent. Mm-hmm. That's the difference is that there were, you know, we would call us like uh <laughs> like as a diss, you know, we, we would say like there would be certain bands where it's there are hardcore kids trying to play metal. Yeah. Which essentially which is a lot of the 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 metalcore is just basically they were trying to be metal, yeah. but they weren't good enough. Yeah. So it ended up being metal. Core. Yeah, it ended up being its like own thing almost. <laughs> yeah. But to me, the 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 best stuff of the genre is not that it is comp. It is a legitimate creative choice to yeah, say, totally. "Hey, we're gonna bring these elements together." Um, and the other element, and I think this is relevant, is that combination of singing and screaming. Yeah. Um, and I and I, and I know this isn't present in every modern metalcore band, no. but it is something that is kind of a staple and is seen as, I think, um, something we associate with the genre. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, um, like what I was saying too, with metalcore being a big umbrella term at this point, cause it's, we're talking about a style that's been around since, I mean, if you, if you not even counting thrash, like since I was born, like the year I was born, like that's when this, around this, when this started. So I think it's gone through so many different phases and stuff and everyone's always waiting for it to die out. I'm sure every decade people are like, this has got to go at some point and then it just keeps reinventing itself. So I think that like the difference between maybe a cave in and like a, a poison the well is like a, probably a fork, you know, where, well, no, like, but, but that's the other, but so let's bring up poison the well right now. Mm-hmm. So, so opposite of December, um, that exploded. Yeah. It was a game changer. And the, and the thing is, and you could say it, um, it's impact you know, I think was felt in it, you know, whether people can call it screamo or yeah. uh, post hardcore, I don't know exa- exactly what, what you would call it, but bringing that kind of major key emotionality, it had the, um, yeah. you know, uh, it, it kind of hit a, a nerve in a way that brought that yeah. scene um, yeah, and that it- splintered off in a way, but it, to me, and you tell me if I'm wrong, yeah. Like I said, not because I was there and you, I was not. Short. So yeah, just, but <laughs> that was the first band that I saw in the scene that was heavy. That all of a sudden girls were showing up. Yeah, and it and I and, and in, in my opinion, what they were doing, it really connected on the West Coast. Yeah, and so without Poison the Well, I don't think you get this the change of the scene with bands like Eighteen Visions, yeah, bleeding through, bleeding through, and, even Avenged Sevenfold, Avenged Sevenfold, Detroit. I think. Um, and Under Oath, I would I would put yeah. in there because they this was you know um, Poison the Well was also from yeah. Florida. Um, I think and- it's interesting because when you when you when you think of Poison the Well, I kind of think of like okay, since metalcore before that, like when you're talking about the integrities, the Earth Crisis and stuff, it's very visceral, it's very aggressive, and it's Poison the Well still is that, but it's like where, when the singing comes in, it I'm interested in like where what influence that came from, and I think that you can kind of look back at like the sunny day, day real estate bands and like mm-hmm. those like early emo like and what or even even a e- big influence on them was the deftones deftones yeah yeah and i think that um it's interesting how big of an influence that had yeah because when you said girls started showing up obviously that's a game changer and like in uh, through an industry's perspective so i think that uh that was definitely where the f- like 
you know, it split to where people were like, oh, then you kind of later down the line, you get what naturally probably comes from that is the more boy band aspect of it. Even though I wouldn't say Poison the Well was that at all. Well, no, they were, I think they were viewed that way by people in the heart, ugly dudes in the hardcore scene. They were like, oh yeah, that's that pretty boy band. Yeah. You know, Um, but we were just all ugly. I think they were just, you know, they they were fine. There were some, there were some very handsome gentlemen. Let's let's put put, put it that way. And that, I think that was there, but it, I think they stumbled onto something. What, what, and I, some some people will probably want to bring up from Autumn to Ashes, mm-hmm. but I think it's important to remember that Poison the Well was first. Yeah, absolutely. And from Autumn to Ashes, it was I guess in the in that day and age, six months felt like a long time. Yeah, and maybe maybe there was some parallel thinking there yeah. in terms of style and that band. similar influences for sure. Yeah. Um, but Poison the Well to me, because I think I mean from Autumn to Ashes did really well, so yeah. I don't know who ultimately was bigger, kind of made the, the the biggest impact. But to me, that that band is 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 as paramount because it once the girls show up and then people start copying you and then you all of a sudden the the business aspect all of a sudden it's like oh this is quote unquote marketable yeah um i think that's a big totally change and i think too that's when you start to like when this when the like kind of road forks and that i think that's when you go down the the screamo post hardcore worlds came from like, I mean, there was obviously precursors before that, but I think the Poison the Well, Autumn to Ashes thing. Like you really, Thursday, you yeah. have, uh, you know. Uh, Not only know, did bands take that. Glass draw. Yeah, take that in a heavier direction, but there was bands that took it in a more melodic direction too. So I think that there is like multiple things that that one thing. Yeah, spo- it was a big split. Yeah. You know, and that kind of delved also into the Warped Tour scene. Totally. And all that early on. The other band, pre-2000, that I think in... I get it. I'm from New Jersey, so I have a little bit of bias. Yeah. But I think this is real. Is Dillinger Escape Plan? Oh yeah. He, he doesn't. He might have mentioned it in the in the in the video, but I don't believe he did. And the thing is, if we're gonna talk noise and we're gonna talk um, dissonance and yeah. craziness, it's you know one a one b. You know he really leans on botch. Yeah. And here's what you have to. And I get it. He's from Seattle, so he's gonna be like botch, botch, botch. Right. I saw botch in 1998 in. I think I saw him twice at the Melody Bar. Mm-hmm. Botch was fucking amazing. They I were yeah. absolutely incredible. Um, but here's the thing. Botch broke up. Yeah. Right kind of when they were getting some headway. And mm-hmm. and what and so they had that that one record, um, We Are the Romans, I think it's called, or something like that. One with yeah. the, something like that. See guys, this is what happened when you don't you're not Romans. Romans, I, I don't know. Something Romans. Something. Anyway, <laughs> cl- classic record, great band. Um, and I think there was a tour. I think it might have been Converge, uh, Botch, and Dillinger, or maybe it was Caven. It was some like combination of those bands. And that was kind of like the peak of that. Um, another band, Candiria, who oh yeah, I think was really a kind of a bubble in and of yeah. themselves. Meshuggah, or, Meshuggah's first tour was with Candiria in the states, as as far as I or was one a tour. Or early early right? one show. It was one show. Yeah, one show at um um in New York. Yeah, at uh, well, I remember that uh. Coney Island High. Okay. And it was a Dillinger and Candidate. But let's, we're, we're going off top, but I just, yeah. I just want to focus on, on Dillinger for a second. Um, you know, Calculating Infinity changed the game. People started oh, making yeah. their band sound like Dillinger like the next week. Yeah. Um, like Matt, the term when you get the metalcore, like, sub sub genres of it like math core i would definitely credit at the feet of like convergent dillinger well i would i wouldn't put uh convergent math core because i don't think this stuff was mathy you know and, and the thing is you have to hear you know here's the difference with converge started you know 
as almost pure metalcore, like yeah. like like what we would think of. It had like Slayer riffs and mm-hmm. breakdowns, and um, and it was noise. And then they they slowly became more progressive. Well, yeah, just they became an art rock band or right. art noise, whatever. Where to me, convergent in a sense. Like if we sat down here with someone converging, like, hey, you're metalcore, I think they'd be like, nah, you go fuck yourself. Yeah, probably. I think most bands don't like to be called what they're looked at in hindsight. But I don't think they, but that's my point. I think in, in, in a certain degree, you, uh, by virtue of the work you do, you supersede, yeah. you become above and go beyond it. And yeah. they are. It's like, it's like, oh, call, totally. it's like calling Radiohead a grunge band. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like they might've started that way, but they've gone. I think though, like when you're, when you, when you're talking about what Dillinger did though, I definitely agree that that was a total changing point. Even like I wasn't there cause I was young, but I like from all the, I've watched plenty of live videos and stuff just to see how crazy it was. And it seems like, I don't know if I've ever seen anyone act on stage like that before then. Like, I don't, I can't think of a band that went as crazy. And I think their live show had a lot to do with, uh, well, there's a band called locusts. Oh, the locusts. Yeah. That, that, right. that went pretty crazy. There were, I think, in in that whole, you know, there was a whole what we called screamo, and it would be like really skinny dudes in like Smiths t-shirts <laughs> in like a basement where they would like the mic would fall on the ground and they would like cry and like yell like the whole band like, ah they'd be so yeah <laughs> and, and you would you would see that from time to time because it was you know and I think it was probably influenced a, a, a lot by that but it was you know so when I'm referring to this, this is not to like call out Finn this is more to say. Hey, I get you kind of you, you put a couple of band names in there, but it's really important to talk about who changed it. Like these this band, this record, yeah. things were different. You yeah, know, and, and, change. and the ripples kind of kind of felt from from there out. Um another band, I think, even though their impact was probably actually no, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna hold that one. Zayo, I was I just want to bring oh, up the, we're, yeah, Christian well, yeah, Metal Corp. Yeah, I think we have to talk about you know, the Christian metalcore scene because yeah. it was, you know, the whole uh, tooth and nail scene. That was a scene. Yeah, totally. Um, and there was so much, whether it's Norma Jean, who was, who was ludicrous, you had a yeah. living sacrifice, um, that Spitfire. Was, that almost could totally, that was one of the biggest things after a certain point. Like, if you really look at it, I think that was when kids who wanted to listen to metal could show their parents like, yeah, this sounds crazy, but look what they're talking about, you know, and then like it, the suburb, the suburban kid who, because this, this probably, correct me if I'm wrong, but this might have started as more of like a, like a, for lack of a better term, like an underground kind of grimy like street kind of genre, like where you had a lot of like more troubled kids from like versus you know kids coming from the suburbs and that being like the predominant fan base. I think maybe like, and Zay, I don't, I don't, I can't think of a band maybe before them that. I don't I'm they're not under oath you know they're not as like marketable or as like prettied up as like under oath but I think what that became definitely was where they like kind of started and they made those kind of kids feel like they could make this kind of music too without like whatever Christian guilt yeah but I I think it's it's super important because for example he talks about Azalea dying a lot and I think in many ways Azalea dying kind of personified what if you were to look at metalcore in the dictionary, that's what that's not in the mid mid two thousands. Yeah, that's what it basically sounded like. And totally, you don't have that without a Zayo. Yeah, in, in 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 my opinion, so I think that's that's super relevant. And one other point before we kind of move on from uh, the nineties into mm-hmm. the two thousands, um, 
is in my opinion and i because he mentions rorschach in this kind of list of of east coast yeah bands actually and, not a band I've, I've listened to that much well so those are kind of venn diagram of you know rorschach is basically the band that predates dead guy okay right so that and then you had stark weather from philadelphia and this is essentially this kind of moody discordant um stuff that you know like i said some of the stuff i wasn't you know and this is probably some people like this is my fucking you don't know what you're talking about you wouldn't there yeah um so i am kind of speaking on behalf of things i've, I've learned from other people and those so so when we were talking about this uh who invented metalcore thing brian fair from uh who's an overcast mm-hmm. shadows fall he chimed in because i know that motherfucker was there yeah you know um and so a lot of people point rorschach is the band that kind of first did that noisy thing that ended up becoming the dillinger and the the converge thing but th- that band kind of splintered off into dead guy and if you listen to dead guys um fixation on a, a co-worker the first dillinger skate plan ep basically sounds almost exactly like that mm-hmm. um do you think rorschach like looking back at it now i i know you weren't there but like going through other people do you think that it was one of those things where people noticed like they were doing something different or do you think it was one of those things that the kids maybe who saw them or who saw dead guy when they became old enough to make bands they were kind of modeling themselves like in that way like was it was it like do you think it was in the air like this is something different or was it just kind of this is another band and then hindsight kind of gave them the, the yeah I, I think it's you got to remember how localized this stuff was and how a lot of these bands just didn't last that long Mm-hmm. They were only around for a couple of years, and, and a lot of it becomes kind of urban legend. But then when you're going back, and you're like, where the, how did it go from, we're doing two steps and singing straight edge songs to, you know, crazy ass Dillinger Escape Plan, and then you yeah. just you go back and you ask the questions, and um, you know, so sometimes we can look at a band like Starkweather or something, and you go back and maybe it doesn't hold up quite as you as you would think. Um, and then you kind of remove, you go one step forward yeah. and all of a sudden it all comes together. And for me, even though I, I know they weren't first, but because I think sometimes it's not just about who did it first, it's about who did it best. So that's the main, in my opinion, that's the most important thing. Because usually nine times out of 10, the most influential band is not who did it first. It's just who, they were probably second or third, but yeah. they just did it the best. Absolutely. I think that you need some bands sometimes to like tread the waters in order for like the blue like a blueprint to potentially be start being made for other like artists maybe and maybe who are a little more maybe musically inclined or maybe with a, a bigger vision or something to come in behind you and be like all right like nod to you you know you really helped pave the way for us but this is the direction this should go you know and then they kind of like you know, push that into where then everyone kind of follows through. Like, I think maybe Rorschach or Dead Guy. I mean, I was never really listened to much Rorschach, but I definitely uh, I checked out Dead Guy like when I was a teenager, just off of friends and stuff. And yeah, I think when I try to when I listen to some of this stuff too, I kind of try to think of the perspective of like not like of the time, you know, like and what was out, what wasn't out, like because it's easy to look back at stuff and kind of be like, okay this obviously is this but if you think in the perspective of well in the 90s when this came out like there was no bands like ahead of them you know to make it obvious yeah and i think that's kind of hard to do but i think sometimes when looking back at some of this stuff that's more grimy and raw and harder to see like 
some people might be like, that's a bad band's just shitty and sounds shitty. But like, if you really, like, well, I'll tell you what, fixation on a coworker is recorded really well. Steve Evans did it. Um, and there's a, I think there is a timeless kind of factor to that, to that record. And that's, mm-hmm. I think another thing too, you have to remember about right. This pre two thousands era is that it was kind of difficult to get a great recording. Oh yeah. Totally. And so the, the recordings that really hold up and the records that, that I think were influential, also happened to be have the best production yeah. and kind of best presentation and they and they were um and so the kind of before moving on I said the last man I want to talk about was overcast because yeah. for me that if from that era that kind of 95 to 98 era that was the band to me that encapsulated what metalcore was then totally they do not sound like a hardcore band no you know and there's Scream vocals, they're singing. Yeah, there's, there's like, there's the not really skippy riffs too. Like they were, they were like doing more than just like power chords. It was, t- it was metal riffs, you know, and it was a metal band to me that existed in the hardcore scene. And but if you actually, and they did like people, a lot of people know, you know, Overcast opened for At the Gates when they first, you know, yeah. toured in America. They opened for Morbid Angel. They opened up for Napalm Death. So they were trying to do that crossover yeah but sometimes it's just a thing where i think overcast were they were probably too ahead of their time where they yeah. just didn't fit they were too metal for hardcore and and too hardcore weird for, metal. for the for, for, for the metal scene and which what we were talking about like that that i think they fall into that where they uh i usually actually i feel like i hear that band mentioned more as one of the first metalcore bands of like the modern sound probably almost more than anyone from people like like yourself or from other like bands who were there or who are actively like looking back as this for influence versus like just listening, you know? Yeah. And I think I hear about Overcast a lot, I feel like. And I can definitely hear it. Like I think um the fact they toured without the gates, because you want to talk about like the sea. I don't chains. know if they, they I don't know if they toured. Maybe oh, they did a like, few shows. Oh, okay. I don't want to start, yeah, I think it might have just been a few shows. Okay. But like talk about the sea change out the gates was probably the biggest sea change. But keep keep in mind, at this time, no one gave a fuck about at the gates. No. So at at the gates didn't make their impact basically until they were already yeah. bro- broken up. Again, a band's band kind yeah. of thing. Well, I mean, they eventually became the people's band, but oh, yeah. it, it, it took some time. So I just wanted to kind of uh make that point. Um so now kind of going into the 2000s, this is essentially um, what he, how does he, he, he label it? The transition years. Yeah. Um, and uh, 2000 to 2007, that's the, the, the timeline he uses. And this is essentially when the scene broke. Um, and this is when I'm kind of, you know, my band, God forbid, yeah. uh, was come, you know, our first full length album came out in 99. Mm-hmm. Um, and we got signed in 2000, put out, you know, record called Determination 2001. Yeah. Great, by the way. Oh, thank <laughs> you. Thank you. Uh, which is interesting. You know what? I kind of, realize like every time there's some video or article that's specifically talking about metalcore Mm -hmm. god forbid never gets mentioned and i think part of it um is that essentially we were never really trying to be a metalcore band we were always trying to be a metal band Mm -hmm. and we were like we were you know unlike hatebreed we did the opposite we literally you know in a way moved so far out of the metal metal core or the hardcore scene that those people kind of don't don't really associate us with the the scene yeah but metalheads never totally embrace the band yeah in the way they embrace like a lamb of god like they're always kind of like somebody write about these boys so we kind of yeah. we're, we're it's like unclaimed freight it was, it's just kind of interesting because 
I think if you were to look at musically, we definitely influenced a lot of the bands here. Oh, yeah. um, but for some reason, you know, or I'm, I'm just over speaking our, yeah. our, our impact. I, I, I could run because, because usually people talk about the peers, but I think sometimes that's, because those are the bands that got biggest. Yeah. You know. Um, well, I think what's interesting about you guys and like when we're talking, when we get into this 2000s conversation is um, where metalcore and the new wave of American heavy metal kind of like. Merger split. Yeah, merger split. Exactly. Like, yeah. like, and I think that's when it gets into the more uh, like cultural conversations versus like Sonic, even though. I hear the sonic differences. I hear how like a band like maybe you guys and Shadows Fall and uh, may, like Lamb of By God. By the way, Shadows stuff. Fall never gets mentioned either because I think they're viewed as a as a metal band. Yeah, I think when you start like talking about that is when it starts to become more of a thing about culture and like where where bands were playing and who what bands those bands were playing with and what kind of kids those bands were playing in front of because that's when the lines get murky where. If say the the term new wave of American heavy metal never got existed and every band under that umbrella, which that term it basically dissipated almost like you can look back at it. I disagree. Show. I think I think it's it's subsisted and so we were talking about um and we're gonna talk about this a little later, but uh Sam Dunn's uh banger films yeah. uh, metal headbangers journey, they do a metal yeah. uh family tree. Big and, fan of his his YouTube channel too, Banger, where they have ep- Lockhorns, I think is what it's called, where they reinterpret that tree. Yeah, it's, it's great. Um, I love I love all their content. They also did the um the new hip hop uh, documentary series. Yeah, great on on Netflix. But um, shout out to Banger. Yeah, I, I got to get Sam on, on the show. But um, so they have a new new wave American heavy metal list, Branch. and I, and I do think it's accurate. I just I just think the the problem is when you have kind of a burst of bands like that. Um, and then there's nothing, there were the group of bands that came out that were new wave American heavy metal and it kind of stopped. Yeah. So I think when you have bands that keep existing past that, like kill switch, like darkest hour, it makes it look like that. These characteristic, are just bands. Yeah. That they, they almost get subsumed by the, by the larger. Yeah. Well, I think thing. that speaks to how thin that line was too. Well, yeah, but in a sense, people bands kind of stopped playing that style. Yeah. Like you don't really hear bands of that ilk. Yeah. Um, One thing I think an interesting point about that, not to move too far ahead of the future or in the future, but um, is that as those, as your guys bands, like you start, like stops becoming like a new sound and you guys are kind of running the show. Then you get like the counterpoints where like maybe like a band like Winds of Plague comes along with the death, like the death core scene. And that's kind of like the heavier aspect of it. And then you kind of get the fork of, metalcore really going in a more warped tour direction and then that kind of taking well, the show i listen i i thinking about this and going through all this i really think deathcore is just part of metalcore oh i agree yeah it's it, totally but, but in a weird way you know and this is kind of the at the tail end of of this era it really hurt a lot of the metalcore bands like i mean you'll i've had you know ken from on earth on the show you know and he'll talk about um you know, bringing job for a cowboy out on early tours where they're just crushing it. Yeah, and it and even you know and and I think if you were to look at on Earth and job for a cowboy, clearly there was a difference in style and it was a, yeah. a, a a seat change. But you know, when I listen to like early Suicide Silence, you know, Winds of Play, it's not that you know to me it's just a heavier 
more brutal version of metalcore. It's still part of the same tree, or it's just that next yeah. ev- ev- evolution. Absolutely. But I think that uh, maybe going back like to the 2000s, one thing I don't think we really talked about too much, what I'm actually interested in is how, because in hindsight now, when like thinking about what metalcore is now, which we'll probably, we'll get to later, but um, I think of new metal playing such a big role and I'm like that being one of the biggest forms of music. He, he, Finn talks about that, which I think he is dead on was that heavy. I think new metal showed to the world that when heavy music is presented to people, like in a broader sense that they'll like heavy music. Yeah. And I think that a lot of what helped blow metalcore up was like a, like new metal was the gateway. And like anyone who wanted to dig like an ounce deeper would find metalcore like right under it. Well, that's, so I I was going to mention a a part of the previous segment is that I think in a way, sometimes the most influential bands on a scene are not from that scene. Yeah. And I think Slipknot, has about as much of an influence in the 2000s with this scene than any band. Oh yeah. But it started in 99, right? When totally. they when their um when their first record c- came out and I think you see that um in this era whether it's Bury Your Dead. Yeah. Whether it's I mean um, it's literally everyone if you yeah. if you want to be honest. like to be to be honest that's what that was the first scene of music I really fell in love with at a like young age was the Slipknots and the Corns and like or Bring Me Brother Bring Me Horizon is so influenced by absolutely it. even like even like the heavier bands like the thing now like where I mean just t- talking briefly about like where Slipknots influence I feel like has, has carried almost more than anyone's like in in metal for the amount of time it's been going on and the fact that kid the kids right now who are making music that is what is relevant and probably what's going to be the relevant like thing in the next few years, I think you're going to continue to see their influence like carried on into the 2020s. And I'm just, I'm one thing since you were around more, what like was a lot of kids who maybe were around your scene, like the kids who were listening to Slipknot first and then kind of delved deeper, or was it like a different alien world? Like at that point? So I think it's all a generational thing. So, I remember doing a show in Detroit and it was Hatebreed, Poison the Well, God Forbid, Sworn Enemy, maybe one other band. I can't can't remember. Um, sold out. It was like when Hatebreed was just peaking, 2002 on a, uh, was it Perseverance, Perseverance came out? Yeah, Perseverance. Um, Which was the record that I got into him so first because you asked me earlier. I there was say. literally a guy, like a tough ass hardcore motherfucker basically saying if you have a slipknot or mudvayne shirt on you better turn it around right now or i'll fuck you up when you get inside oh, okay so it was like that so there was a um there was an idea of like this is our scene and then you had bands like hapery going out and doing these bigger tours doing Ozfest, and they were bringing this whole new audience to to hardcore uh hardcore metalcore shows and there was a big resistance whereas like now you wouldn't really the the truth is those kids who were getting into slipknot who were maybe your age or they were 12 or 13 those eventually would be the guys that would start the suicide silences and um that next wave of deathcore or metalcore whatever whatever you want to call it so it was Things were just were just changing. There was a real if you were on that, there was definitely at that time if you were banned and you were into Slipknot or you were seen to kind of favor that, you were looked at as 
corny yeah or like just that's the new metal that's some whack shit you know and yeah. it took i think several years you gotta remember because slipknot changed you know they oh, put 100%. out iowa which was super heavy the um biggest extreme album probably ever yeah and then they started essentially slipknot stopped touring with new new metal bands and just took out bands from our scene so, right so they did a tour in 2004 and it was uh slipknot lamb of god shadows fall they did a tour I think maybe a year after that with Azalea Dying and Unearth. Um, so they essentially adopted the yeah. entire scene. And, and, and you know, I think that in, they, the entire scene really owes them a huge uh, debt of gratitude. And Slayer, same thing. Totally. Slayer took out almost ever you know, a lot of the major. Yeah. First time I heard Bleeding Through, they were on tour with, or the first time Slayer. I saw Bleeding Through, they were on tour with Slayer. And Manson. And Manson, yeah, yeah. which was like, I'd, I'd listened to him before, but I never really. But anyways, I think what you were, what you said about it being generational is very true because kind of what I find now just from talking to like you know people a little older than me and stuff was what got you into what and I think for people maybe my age and maybe a little older and a little younger like um new metal wasn't quite seen as like this bastardization of like the genre or whatever that maybe kids who are in their early 20s and stuff saw it as because by that point you're probably deeper down the rabbit hole you're into the whole cultural thing. And if you're getting into heavier bands, there's like a, a cultural identification but, but that comes I, with it. But something that's really important, you got to remember about, like I said, uh, at the time we would never, you know, to me there was the hardcore scene and what that really meant was everything in the culture. Mm -hmm. So it could be grindcore, it could be emo. The hardcore scene was just the scene, right? Right. And you have to remember about those scenes, whether it's hardcore, whether it's punk, whether it's like black metal, they're all elitist. Yeah, there's the elitist in like everything. And they're all close-minded. Yeah. So, you know, I never thought that way. So it's like I I bought the first Slipknot record. I bought the first Disturbed record. Mm -hmm. I had the Limp Bizkit albums. I never and I was I was the same guy who was listening to death metal and everything. You know, I was listening to everything. I didn't really yeah. and I never cared about what was cool or not or, you know. Totally. But but that stuff was totally seeping in, into this Seen and like I said, I, I mentioned Barrier Dead, um, who I think is is really important. Yeah. Talk but, about the open string riff, single note riff. Well, like. well, no, but but so then so then you go to the West Coast and really the first band I heard, the hardcore band that brought the new metal influence was Throwdown. Oh yeah, totally. Um, and they were and really they were influenced. You know, I'm sure and hope to have Dave on the show to kind of talk about it. But from what I could hear, it was. Machine Head and Sepultura. You oh, know, absolutely. Roots. You know, Machine Head, I think, is a band that kind of defies uh, genre. Yeah, totally. But, you know, if you go back into the previous era, actually, you know what? I might even have to revise this because really, if you want to go back, it was disembodied. Oh, yeah. And which is something I D. definitely wanted to talk about, too, like with relevance now. Okay. Yeah. So, so disembodied was basically broken up by the time the 2000s hit. Um, and the thing is, I don't know uh, how much about their popularity outside of my local area but in new jersey disembodied was killing it yeah. you know and it but they're all all their their low tuning a lot of those, those ding, dissonant ding, ding. riffs yo chromatics that, that's basically if you listen to the uh machine head song 10 ton hammer oh yeah no i'm talking machine no. head in 97 like those was, those you know what what jamie joss would call an alarm clock riff yeah <laughs> You know, that's a good I, one. I never heard that. I one. mean, I gotta go to. I mean, I might have to like actually go and research this, but I'm pretty sure the 
metalcore bands took that from Machine Head. Yeah, totally. Actually, I've kind of always, it wasn't, I've always kind of thought of Machine Head as like a metalcore band, at least early on until maybe, uh, maybe like, maybe the 2000s. Like, I think with, yeah, like Tenton Hammer and stuff like that. But when I'm, when I'm thinking of that, I'm thinking of like what they sounded like then versus what like the heavier side of metalcore sounds like now. And they're very clearly like, I love writing harmonic riffs and stuff like that. If you want to talk from like a guitar player perspective because of Machine Head, like those, and also talking like, we didn't like go super hard on the groove thing, which I think like really didn't manifest itself until around 2008 when like, I think with Sugar's Obzin came out. I think that was a CJ, but we'll get to that. But I think that, Machine Head is definitely a band that deserves a lot of credit, especially for their early night, like the '90s stuff, in terms of what's relevant now and what the music sounds like now. Like, I think if you were to put someone with a blindfold on who like listens to hardcore and stuff, never heard Machine Head play it, it's be like, "Oh, this is a new band. Like, what do you think about it?" They would think it was a new band because it doesn't sound dated because no. of the way the scene has gone. You know? Yeah, I mean, they're like I said, they're a band where you can kind of be all things to all people but this yeah. goes back to the cultural thing of it's not about what it sounds like it's what culture you're part of and they were definitively part of the metal totally scene. yeah so, so i think that's a lot of times where it gets it's lost in the show i shelf. think they fit in more maybe with you guys or with god what god forbid well, yeah was well, what we were trying to be we were trying to be a band like machine head um in our in our kind of later career or in the middle of our career but so uh two points i, want, I wanted to make about the this transition years 2000 2007 um, I think the most important record of this era and the one that had the most where it came out and everything changed and everyone tried to rip them off. And to a sense, people are still trying to rip this band off is Killswitch Engage Alive or Just Breathing. Yeah, absolutely. And I would say it is perhaps the most definitive metalcore album ever. I would um, not be mad at that at all. Um, and the thing is, people band ha bands had done versions of this before. Yeah, not as well. Though. Even they had. They had a previous record, a self-titled record on Ferret Records um, that came out, I think, 99. But it it had it basically took everything and put it out and it said, this is the way the guitars sound. Yep. This is the way the beats drop. This is the kinds of riffs we have. This is the kind of singing that happens in, in, yeah. in, in the choruses. And, um, and it really, I know for, you know, I've mentioned it on here, but I'll mention it again. I had got the demos, mm -hmm. uh, a demo from uh, someone at Roadrunner. Oh no, I think Mike D actually sent it sent it to us, and it was the basically the demo they submitted to Roadrunner after mm -hmm. they got or that got them signed, and it had um, "Fixation on the Darkness." I'll say it had uh, what was the other song? I know it was "Alive or Just Breathing," and was it uh, was it the first song? Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey, and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. 
Hi, this is Chad Nicefield. And this is Justin Press. We're the host of Making Waves, the Shiprock Podcast, a part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. We're inviting you to sail away with us on an epic journey in musical enlightenment. Every week, we bring you only the best artists in rock music and discuss everything from the cruise to the stage to the saga of being a professional recording artist. We'll have lots of special guests along the way, so tune in every week. Your stateroom is available every Monday morning, so welcome aboard. Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talked to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like. Yeah, might have been. Yeah, yeah, yeah might, might, might have. The, did it have the acoustic intro still? Do you remember if you remember? I don't. I don't. I don't probably. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the opening track on the on on the record. Um, and I remember, and it had production very similar. And I remember hearing it and just being like, "Our career is over." <laughs> really? It was. It was that like because it. No, I'm telling you, it was such budget had so much to do. Like we, you would listen to a Machine Head record or a Fear Factory record. And then you're like, oh, it's Colin Richardson. Oh, how much? They, oh, they, I heard they spent eighty grand on this record. Yeah, and it was just uh, you had barr- barricades into working with those people, and you know we probably weren't even as good as players or could you know do something that tight. But that was the first band from our scene that had a production of that caliber, and then the songs of that caliber. But it's just, yeah. it was just, it was just everything. But no, totally. I mean, honestly, for me, that was man that that album. I I that album is a big chunk of my life like when because that's how i found out about at the gates like i didn't know about at the gates until kill switch like then i like would see that um so kane and i would see that uh people were like oh this band is influenced by this band and if you want to talk about like well actually the- can i can i i'm gonna get keep real yeah at the uh um kill switch engage is much more influenced by carcass and so it worked in the arbor at the gates. I could definitely see at, that. At the gates really was, it, you know, darkest hour. Yeah. Um, and really, the I think the band that you know a lot of things that people call at the gates core is actually in flames because what happened was at the gates broke up before they kind of yeah blew up, and in flames kind of walked right into their shoes. Yeah. And they were doing the shows like so the first in flames like full U.S. tour. Um, where they were headlining, was it the first one? First or second one? I think it was the first one. It was Earth Crisis, Skin Lab, and Walls of Jericho. Oh, okay. Right? So all these hardcore kids went out to that show, and it literally changed the entire scene, being able to see in flames. So, um, you know, I look at a band like Atreyu and Azalea Dying, a lot of that was more in flames. Okay. So even though it seems because At The Gates was before, or the, yeah. I guess they were contemporaries within Flames, I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, well, when I think of it, when I think of the influence of that, I like I, maybe because I'm a guitar player and that's just something my ear gravitates to. And In Flames definitely had this too. And it's probably just what was in the water in uh, Northern Europe around that time. But those like string skippy riffs that is just so... Like, if you want to talk about what defines, like, metalcore maybe um, the most, even from a guitar player's perspective, almost, if not on equal footing as the breakdown, if not more so, I think is those string skippy, like, you know, minor, harmonic minor, like, 
thrash almost like it but to me when i listen to thrash i don't i hear remnants of like what that was going to become but i don't hear like so much straight up like that and then when i hear at the gates i hear that and then yeah in flames i hear that and then when you go to kill switch you're like oh, okay this is that mixed with like the groove element of probably what like machine well, head well, there's, some, there's some pantera in there there's there's so much in there so yeah. here's the other the other album i think of that and this is i'd say so we're talking about 2003 2004 um is unearth on oncoming storm oh yeah um, when's the play got our, our the name from an unearth song yeah so and the and the reason why i think that album is, is so pivotal is that it kind of represents the opposite side of the coin that the kill switch does because they're essentially for metalcore there was two paths do you sing or do you not sing yeah right and on earth kind of almost like kill switch on that record essentially presented a formula and this is not to denigrate them i'm saying that that what they they figured out what they did really well and they exploited it mm-hmm. and what on earth did was we're gonna have the sickest breakdowns and really that was their whole thing was we're gonna organize the songs around these breakdowns and these live yeah these live sets and we're kind of gonna t- oh we capers doing this we're doing it at nine we're gonna do it at ten yeah and then they had the seven strings right yeah or- seven strings tune to b and they they had the scandinavian riffs you know the the the, the gothenburg thrash yeah. riffs and then they'd have these kind of like floaty happy sounding noodle parts and then shred sections yeah so their stuff was was geared around and that you know you know you'll kind of fast forward a little bit and you'll hear bands like um you know bring uh between the buried and me or human yeah. abstract where they're doing you know or even you even fast forward to like uh born of osiris and you, oh, yeah. you hear the breakdown with the sweet picking part totally that did not exist before on earth yeah yeah sweet pick so i remember unearth was the band that made me like be like oh sweeping like sweeping is like sick you know yeah, album, i want to learn to do that the album should have came with a broom yeah right? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah totally i think too like around this time is when you start to get like i mean the the idea of writing like to make people move in a certain way isn't new and that's something that hardcore had been messing with for a long time but i think if we're going to talk about like the differences between metal and hardcore, maybe a little bit more outside of just what's culturally and what's sonically, I think it's the approach to writing music. And I don't think this probably applies so much in the nineties as it started to in the two thousands and definitely dominated a lot in the 2010s, but it's what you're writing to make kids do what in the audience. So like what I mean by that is like hardcore and like is the umbrella term with like all like the separation of like the metal and the hardcore with our kids just push pitting at your shows or is every part you write have like a specific movement to it like in a similar sense that like edm has you well, know? it was all it was sound design organized to make to to uh inspire a crowd yeah. reaction and, and like two steps are a type of beat like they're a type of beat and side to side you know like that's a style of like drums that come in breakdowns inflex like hardcore dancing like thrash parts inflex like circle pits you know and you can slow two steps like or stomps or whatever inflex a certain type of dancing and i know each region had their own kind of thing and their own style to it which is it's, it's almost funny but it's interesting to like think about what music does to people and how these things evolve over years for how like moshing went from pogoing to like 
kids doing this like two-step dance that it's like how did you get from that to that and well, they call it what they call that skanking in punk right yeah exactly so it's like an evolution but when you think of like metal metal like if i were to think of maybe like just a, like a devil driver or something like that they're r- not really writing their music with that in mind it's just kind of they're writing songs and kids are probably push pitting but they're not doing all these like like weird unique dances to like their culture and i think yeah. that's probably culturally different and also maybe where the music the mentality of writing the music is different and i think you started to get that a bit more in the 2000s well so it's funny that you bring it up and it's kind of funny me kind of talking about this after the unearth thing because i think what what you saw was this kind of competition at the shows right you'd have mm-hmm. eight bands at the show and everyone's trying to get the biggest reaction and it really it's that's this is what changed god forbid sound is that we really got sick of this thing that to me wasn't music it was just you know an organization organization of chugs is not music to me right and it's not really and people started to think that oh if you have the biggest pit that means you're the best band and to me the things didn't correlate and i and we we got the opportunity to tour with bands like anthrax and arch enemy and kind of just hear great songs yeah and and that really it just kind of bummed me out like i remember we did a we did a tour basically like i, I mentioned that european tour where we were out with all these metalcore bands and we felt like we didn't fit and mm-hmm. we did a we did a, a headline tour on our album gone forever and it was us caliban it dies today full-blown chaos and it was all mosh all day yeah. by the time we played everyone was exhausted um and i didn't feel and we, we felt like an outcast on our own tour yeah. you know that's interesting too because like when you think about like when we were talking about that fine line between metalcore and like new wave of american heavy metal this might have something to do with that in terms of like, cause then when, when you start to think of when the, like the latter half of like the past 2005, maybe when like Deathcore starts to really rear its head and you start to even get like bands like a mirror and the Acacia strain and like those kind of bands, which is really what ended up like in terms of the underground sound of metalcore, like that's where like the scene really, or like turned towards was where these bands writing their music specifically like more linearly, specifically for the drop, almost the way EDM yeah. builds to a drop, and well, then it was like drops. Finn said, it's they're making dance music. Yeah, you're making dance music at that point, yeah. and um, that's totally cool. Like I, because I mean, if I'm being honest, like that's what my band, like Goliath, like we tried to write good songs too. Like that was always important to me. But there's something about playing in front of kids when everyone's just absolutely losing their mind. That's kind of hard to replicate in other ways, you know. And I think that. I, I will say I think metal writes probably better songs as a whole in general, but maybe the live experience of hardcore, like that's where uh, that's where it becomes a little more dangerous and a little more fun when you're a kid, you know. Yeah, I mean I've I've noticed a kind of inverse relationship that oftentimes the best song does not go over the best live, mm-hmm. and oftentimes the thing that goes over live when you listen to it at home, like how many times you heard like a sick hardcore band just just has the you know the show goes off and you go oh i gotta hear the song and it just doesn't do it for you the same yeah, way totally. um and i've noticed i remember watching um allison chains play rooster mm-hmm. at download fest it was like 2006 or 2009 or something like that and i remember just being like this is one of the best songs ever but it was just kind of it was a bit of a snooze fest yeah you know like so 
the 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 two things don't always correlate, and I I could just say just for my tastes as someone who is getting older, mm-hmm. kind of moving on, and I I felt I feel as a um, someone who was viewing the scene as especially when you would do like one of these festival tours, right, yeah. where you have ten bands or twelve bands, and everyone's trying to get the biggest circle pit, and everyone's trying to get the biggest pit, and then you kind of realize that it's like <laughs> I think I went to. Uh, Mayhem 2010, and I was just as a just someone watching the show, yeah. not even on the tour. And every singer is like, "Listen up, you need to go crazy." Yeah, no one's answering. And I'm just like, I've been getting yelled at <laughs> all day to do all sorts of things, <laughs> and it's like, you know what? I'm fucking sick of it. Yeah, I'm I'm not here for you, <laughs> and you don't need to yell at me. And people, but people don't realize yeah. that. Before, That's when mosh calls start to get ridiculous. But, but, too, but before that Jasta, that wasn't the case. Like mm-hmm. he invented the way uh, the aggressive front man is supposed to rile yeah. a crowd. Um, and it, I mean, I'm telling you, we did Ozfest. People would steal his lines in the same day. Yeah, you know the but, mosh calls like well, yeah, become a big but, part of festivals. Well, really. it was, but it's it's but the thing is, it's it's like anything. I think. Uh, it kind of wears its welcome. And I, yeah. and I remember as God forbid started to kind of go away from metalcore and, you know, we kind of became more of a prog band or, or, you know, regular heavy metal band. Um, I was just that, that whole kind of thing. This is what you said, like the kind of the, the division, right? Mm-hmm. So you had this one scene where it's like, well, we're just going to be breakdowns all the time. Right. And that's yeah. the Amures and this. And then you had the other scenes, which went more, um, you know, commercial, right? So this is the Atreus and the Avenge yeah. and everything kind of kind of splintered splintered from that. Totally. Um, and like when you were talking about like if we we're gonna like bring up the Atreyu thing with him talking about Atreyu bringing metalcore, I think that was partially a troll. I don't. I don't. I, oh yeah. I, I don't look, think he believes that. Like, listen, I one thing people think is that if like I basically replied. No, no, I invented Metal Court, but like joking and it, like those are my my dudes. Yeah. And I and of course of course I don't think he was serious. And even if he was serious, I wouldn't care either because I think it's not this shit just isn't that important despite the fact we're doing like a two hour yeah, <laughs> totally. podcast about it. But it's um no no, I like cause I think especially fans who don't don't realize that we're all friends with each other, they think that we're re- legit like Yo, man, you yeah. didn't invent this, but because the truth is, we're having this conversation because these things are not definitive. No, it's and they're all- not talked about. Like I feel like, as in, for as big of a scene that metalcore has become, like I don't, there, are, I don't feel like there's enough people. I'm really stoked Finn made that video because it's like this needs to be like documented a little bit more, which is why it's cool. I think you have a podcast where you can talk about it from like an insider perspective. And I think when you start talking about like the post Atreyu, maybe post 2005, when we're getting into what I would call the latter years of like that, the inflames at the gate influence, like into the 2010s, where I think the sea change, because usually every decade you have about a sea change that comes. Well, I think this started, I think he, uh, Finn closed it off from 2000, 2007. And I think that's pretty accurate. Yeah. Because essentially, to me, Obzin came out in 2008, and I. Well, so, so, we're, so we're so we're gonna we're gonna we're, we're gonna get there because so the last thing I kind of want to do do with this because I think this is when you had this era. There were so many bands and yeah. so like there was just everyone was kind of kind of taken off. 
I think it's really and some people are falling off like my band. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, hey, your new band's doing great, man. It's all well, good. You know, <laughs> things th- things go the go, go, go the way they go. I think it's all right. So he he puts it. I, and here's the thing. Here's one thing I will challenge Finn on is uh, he makes up a couple subgenres here that I take. You know, some I agree with, some I, I kind of take uh, issue with. So he mentions at the gate's core. Um, to inflate, you'd call that in flames core. Or no, 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 no. I think he's actually right. Like I think at the beginning of it, when you yeah. go to the late '90s, it was at the gates was the band. Yeah. But I think once In Flames started playing here, it kind of yeah. it, it became that you know. But uh, these are know, obviously joke terms, people yes, that at were the saying. Gates, but like, but no, I I explain. Something. I know exactly what he what what he means because there were yeah, bands same. like Undying and uh uh what's it oh well, I'm fucking forgetting another uh southern band uh, Pray for Cleansing yeah uh Dead to Fall Dead to Fall of course. Um, Which is when I think you start to talk about where, like, because at the Gates's influence was definitely in the early years of deathcore, like those type string skippy riffs that we're talking about, like, which is what we're really talking about when we're talking about at the Gates core. But it's also, but I think you're talking about technique. I'm, but it's the melody, yeah, and, the and, sense and of the melody, beats yeah. and the fast, the the, fa- the fast, beats yeah, and, the and, thrash beats mixed with that style, yeah. Um, and the thing is, I, I mean, you could even early, God forbid, you know, yeah. it wasn't Wins a Plague. We, our yeah. first record had that, you know. So I think that's that's accurate southern core and so he mentioned uh every time i die mailing to sun's disaster he is legend um i have no problem with that i just don't think there were that many bands doing that um, yeah but i would just call that rock and roll core i don't know if that's yeah bluesy core to me it's kind of just like where maybe the kids who grew up on pantera making wanting to make more of a southern influence on like the current landscape because i think it's like you're talking about again you're talking about a style it's probably a guitar uh guitarist perspective thing but i think that is very relevant to the sound of these bands like that like open to like third fret like bend kind of riff is very much like a technique and a style that well, like helped I, define these bands i remember something uh andy williams from every time i die said in some guitar magazine or something some interview where he's like every band around currently thinks they can only play in a minor scale and i think the the point he was was making was not that uh every time I die I was trying to be southern or bluesy it's just that well everyone's doing this over here so we're just going to do something a little different yeah and I think every time I die was a really interesting uh band you know and I th- totally. I th- because we did Ozfest together 2004 and they did they were one of the bands that did the worst on the tour because they were a little too different they didn't yeah. we were kind of doing the thing of the moment yeah and, and it's a great lesson yeah, I was just on Warp Tour with them. Yeah. I just, I, I wasn't on Warp Tour with them, but I was on Warp Tour and I was like watching them all the time. Yeah, but I'm saying like it's, it just, it's a great lesson about the thing of totally. the moment is not always. It's like the, the the tortoise wins the race. Yeah. Um, I think that at the very least, you can say they, uh, every time I die, they weren't the first to the party with that sound, but they were definitely the ones that, to me, I when I think of like a Dillinger, I think of like the southern counterpart to that being like maybe every time I die, like later on. But I think in terms of when I would see them live and they go crazy and like their sound having like a chaotic element. But like, I think the blues influence is really, in, that's kind of what I, I just uh, hear. Ro- I just hear chaotic rock music. Yeah. Like that's what it reminds me of it, you know, with, yeah. with groovy hardcore breakdowns. But, but I think it's, what's important is not to say, Hey, they were like this or that. I think they really were their own thing. Yeah, I do. I totally, think. I think too, like I, for people me- don't remember every time I died when they first came out, it sounded a lot like converge, like, um, right. 
we we did a show with them in a fucking bookstore <laughs> like Syrac- oh, that's awesome. in, in, in syracuse and I, so i've known those guys for for a long time and it's yeah. cool to see them develop their yeah. sound over the years like blue blues was like my first introduction to music being like my dad's a blues guitar player and stuff so i i when i think also when we talk about that rock and roll element i think that's when you kind of talk about a time of like riff styles just music style in general where that like blues was giving way to rock and like the same way we're talking about like how these styles give into each other and um i think every time i die maybe tapped into like an older vibe like with a newer perspective on it and i think that was like maybe kind of unique to them in terms of uh like what they were doing creatively you know yeah um so he mentions one other sub uh subgenre trust kill core which i get like well, I, well no but here's here's the band scene. he names 18 visions bleeding through throwdown which i think is not really fair because it's literally three bands from orange county california yeah. that At the event sevenfold should have been in no no but that were no but he just named three bands on trust kill that yeah. literally all these bands have everyone's been in all the same band it's like one big band that with like three <laughs> different three, three different sounds yeah it's kind of true and you know who was on trust kill uh uh Poison the Well was on Trust Kill. Walls yeah. of Jericho was on, on Trust Kill. And the truth is, it was also Ferret Records at the time. You yeah. had, you know, Killswitch's first uh, record. You had Disembodied. You mm-hmm. had Martyr AD. Um, and I think that's the scene he's talking yeah, about. But he could have maybe named it a little better. But, I, well, I just think it's not, you know, that I think you could do that for every, could you say, oh, there's Victory Core? Yeah. Is that, you know, is that... Is that if, uh, if you would have said Orange County Core, maybe yeah, that would be see, a but bit that's, more that's what I'm a... saying. I think that it's more relevant to the that that scene and that... Yeah. What, what was fashion called? Core was... Fashion a... Core. So that was that's what I'm saying. Was, it was, you know, what was called... Fashion. So here's what I did. I came up with a couple subgenres I think he's missing. Because like I said, I don't think he got it wrong. I just don't yeah. think he named them all. So so Fashion Core was, was one. And I think without... I've mentioned this on the on the show before with uh, Brandon from Bleeding Through because he was in 18 Vision. That 18 Visions really, it wasn't their music that had the biggest impact. It was their look. They were the first yeah. band, you know, and so. All well, the- emo was like at the time, like we haven't really touched on that, but how big of a force was that? You know, yeah. that's that right now is like one of the most relevant influences to new artists. So I think, um, when you think of fashion core, that just correlates too with the time and the look of the time. Like those bands were just well, looking. Well, this was this like, was more like I think the difference between fashion core and quote unquote emo is I think the emo thing, for the most part, I don't think that was really um, something that was planned or kind of cultivated. I think it really was you had kind of young you know, not prototypically masculine men who were, who were skinny and kind of, they were into the Smiths and liked yeah. creepers. And it there was an aesthetic to it that really was borrowed from, you know, the the lighter side of kind of new wave and the punk totally. world and goth and, and all and all that. I think they were, you know, you know, they had all, some of the guys that worked in fashion and, 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 uh, uh, hair, hair design and things like hair design, hairstyle, yeah. <laughs> hair design. Yeah. Um, where it was a thing, yeah. you know, it, it it was a thing. And then to me, you take that, what they were doing aesthetically, and then what bands like Killswitch and Unearth were doing and Poison the Well. So you take those sounds and then that look, 
and then you get a trade. Totally. Then you get Avenged Sevenfold. Yeah. And the thing is, and we toured with both those bands early on. We toured with Atreyu 2003, Avenged in 2002. And back then, they told us, they're like, yo, the guys from, because at the time, 18 Visions, Throwdown, Bleeding Through, those are the big dogs yeah. in that area. And they didn't really like those bands. They were kind of the new kids. They were the up-and-comers who were kind of were kind of riding on their coattails, which, of course, and and the thing is about Atreyu specifically is they came out the gate right away and took off. Yeah. And I think a lot of the those other bands were, were like, what the fuck? We've been here for years. How, how all of a sudden they're selling out venues? How come they're selling all these records? And it, yeah. And then I could definitely see that. Avenge was the next one. And it kind of all of a sudden, you know, eventually they all became friends. But it's, yeah. you can imagine when you've been running the scene for yeah. however, and by the way, I forgot to mention another Orange County band, Adamantium. Oh, Adamantium is sick. Who kind of, uh, another Countervail is actually another, yeah. another, another cool, cool I, band. I think too, even if we're talking about like the fashion. Even just the broader, like, before we, like, move on to the next era, like, that, since we brought up emo, I think that when you're talking about the singing and metalcore and what that would become, like, you can't not talk about, like, what My Chemical Romance was doing, even though these weren't necessarily metal, like, this was more coming from a punk, probably, lens. at the end of the day, emo won the punk battle for what was going to be the biggest subgenre of punk, like, probably, like, emo and, like, pop punk is where what ended up like winning that and i think that you get a lot of kids who grow up listening it's just such a gateway you know like well but all my friends like literally i could i can't even underestimate like i can't even like really state how big an influence that has been and almost i would say like 90 percent of kids around my age and probably a little younger and maybe a little older who became metal musicians they're, the thing that got them into a music culture was that. Like, but keep in mind, let's. My Chem was really, to me, um, the kind of final stroke. Yeah, they were the end result of that. Not necessarily. Maybe I think, Thursday and stuff. Like well, that yeah, that's what I'm saying. Example. So, so Thursday is this band that you know, emo, scream, or whatever, whatever you call them. Like we, you know, we. I grew up in the same town as as as, as those guys, and when I say grew up, I just mean in the same scene, not right. actually grew up. Um, but we came up in the same scene together, had the same manager, so I, I was there to kind of witness a lot of what what was going on with them. And I think that was one of those offshoots. And in no way could you put a band like uh, Thursday and say, oh, they're a metalcore band or anything like that. But what they were concurrent, they, they did share uh, the the same scene as. Yeah. The Atreyu's yeah. or, you know, Poison the I well. think maybe the kid who was like 10 to like 13 who got into Thursday by the time he got to 16 or something was probably when he got into like Atreyu, you know, like I think it was like a gateway of like, because easier listening usually gets you down towards the road of more extreme stuff. You know, that's usually how the rabbit hole for like heavy music goes. Yeah. So, so before we kind of, because we're going to get into that, the, the kind of my chem in that yeah. era. But before that, so here's here's the the so I mentioned fashion core, so tough guy beat down. Now to me oh, this yeah. was so this was the you know sworn enemies, uh, you know full bl- full blown chaos. Yeah, I mean all out war. Yeah, earlier, I, I, you can kind of kind of put them in that in that realm. Even though I would say oh, they were early to that party. Yeah, but there was you know I think we would there was a lot of bands that were just they were a little too over the top to just be um hardcore you know yeah. but but to me i would even put you know throw down and bury your dead in this Absolutely. At, at, at at this time and i think that was 
a relevant scene of like, oh, this this is this kind of band. Because yeah. um, if I'm being honest, like with what where my taste and where my influences let like led me, that specific scene I loved so much because I just I don't know just. I just really liked angry, heavy music. And just, that was just the embodiment of like the angriest, heaviest shit I'd ever heard. And I think that, uh, that is probably what ended up why that's why code orange is where they are. That's that's, those are the precursors, And that's why knock loose is where they are. That's like the precursors to like what that would become. And I think honestly, like from the industry in a lot of ways, didn't really want to touch that. Like that sound has been around for a long time. And I think that, um, you're just now starting to see the the remnants of that where people like like you and me like who've been like I've been hearing this sound for so many years now but it's brand new to so many kids like when they go to see like Gojira and Code Orange is opening for them which like you know Code Orange has that like industrial element to the beatdown but beatdown is definitely a very relevant thing now and I think that you're seeing where like Throwdown left off and where, um, you know, cause they went in the more Pantera direction where you're seeing where bury your dead, man, bring me the horizon, like early, bring me the horizon, even to this day with their heavy stuff, that single string, like Dude. jump the fuck up riff. That is slim from bury your dead. Barry, that is his guitar yeah, style. I, well, it's interesting, you know, and I've done this, um, where I'll, I'll be working on an article or I'll just have to go look at a lot of music and listen. I'll go on. And the, the one thing that's great about Spotify is you can see how many, views and listens things have and it's interesting to see the bands that have been broken up more or less since the mid late 2000s till now and who is really killing on spotify mm-hmm. and buried dead is one of those bands that like i remember that the one record they did with mike terry that was more kind of like it's almost sound like yeah, seven dust the self-titled um no it was nothing uh oh self-titled was after that yeah right? I'm, I'm, or, or hurting not helping no that was the other that's, one that's the song i know what you're talking about it had the girl's face yeah, on yeah. it um but anyway, right after the beauty and the, the breakdown. second, well, no, no, it was two records after that. So there was self titles of the first one with yeah. uh, Mike Terry, and then, the, then there was the second. The second was I think better. But anyway, it was even more kind of kind of mainstream. And now, and that record kind of tanked um, as far as I don't know how much it sold, but I know that was kind of the end of the yeah. band went on hiatus after that. Um, and now it's done really well, and you hear whether it's Bring the Horizon or um, what's the band uh, the the uh, Sumerian band. Uh, from Texas, where I forget the name. Oh, uh, upon a burning body. Upon a burning body. I yeah. mean, I could literally go down the list of like ev- almost every where, where at the gates guitar style ends is where uh, that barrier dead single string jump like, which also like we, like the Meshuggah thing we haven't talked about that really yet, but like that almost like took its place in terms of what bands were, how bands were writing yeah. music. Like, and in uh, asking early ex- asking Alexander yeah. as well, did Every, like everything really. Yeah. I mean, um, death core became that like yeah. death, core, the death metal kind of exited and that barrier dead influence kind of whether it was entirely intentional or not, but that definitely happened. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's one, um, we mentioned fashion core Christian core. We kind of already talked about, um, this is one one thing I think is really important is I don't know if you can call it core, but just the progressive element yeah. of, of of metalcore. And I and to me that that, that key band is uh between the buried and me. Yeah. Um, you know, Animals as Leaders, you know, they were yeah. it was another band called Reflux before that that was kind of pure metal core oh, totally. with these um 
you know, off offshoots, and there, you know, let's be real, we're starting to talk about gent in the very well, near no, conversation. That, but, but, right but, but that's after what this. I'm saying. But that's where the but there was something that kind of existed before that, where like the the thinking man's element, and maybe you could kind of uh, a band like Dillinger, maybe they belong more in that, like the yeah the Prague or you know whether you want to you know Candiria, I think yeah. also kind of kind of fits in this. Yeah, absolutely, and it's really relevant because i think a band like between the buried and me in a way like like we said they've grown beyond yeah the shot where now they're just part of the progressive metal world. tree yeah they've um, gotten like absorbed into that yeah. even uh, i would say dillinger probably layer legacy is probably going to be seen more as a prog metal band than i think but like i said in a way like machine head right yeah i think they're just they're their own thing yeah they kind of defy even though they're they're starting points and they they've influenced so yeah so so much and this is what i said before you know maybe i'll kind of re- reiterate where he said um dead guy core i'm like no it's dillinger core yeah i'm sorry i'm, all those, I'm sure the dudes in in, in norma jean by the way norma jean 623 motherfuckers in the band all right so no way the motherfuckers now were people that maybe the first dudes heard dead guy but i don't know i'm just yeah maybe i'm just i think too like when talking about the progressive thing i think this is a really important one because this is the thing that has lasted like this is the thing that we're still going through and to me like where where i where i really was like oh shit this is separate from metalcore and deathcore was obzin came out in 2008 which is meshuggah's album and i had liked meshuggah before that but I know like me and so many other kids around my age who are starting bands around this time and stuff, that album was like, was sl- the sea change. Like that was where at the gates. Some people would disagree with you. you know? I know, but this is, this is my point. This is where I'm, t- this is what I, this is what I mean. So I think where you can talk about bands like Skith and stuff like that before. Sith. Sith. Am I, oh, Sith. Is Sith? Sick. I've never, I've never known how to say Sith. it right. Sick. I learned something today. All right. So, um, where Obzin comes out, that's where the the genty like pushing the element of what heavy music is like. That's when you get the eight strings. That's when you get the focus on like sixteenth note starts, offbeats. It starts before that. It starts before that, but this really was what made kids start bands like that. Like, nope. you don't think so? No, it's nothing. Nothing. I mean, nothing because and and in I know this because you know. That's what Misha said, and that's what um, Tosin has said. Like the people that really did it. You, you remember, um, basically, there's in a sense, there's three areas eras of Meshuggah. Yeah. Well, four, I mean, I agree with you. Are, no, no, but for but the here, people but, in the band. But I'm talking about how it has affected this scene. Is essentially you have old Meshuggah, which kind of sounds like weird Metallica, which is irrelevant. Yeah. Then you have none through chaosphere yeah which is essentially we have it's where we haven't really we've mentioned mashuga but not really is that yeah. well because i knew that this was going to be a mashuga is that era of mashuga essentially was the most copied style of breakdowns yeah that that was basically everything was the chugga chugga yeah. the way they did it let's that, talk about who pioneered the the breakdown in the current state it is probably the most accurately like i could say that pantera like put groove on the map and making rhythmic uh like syncopation within the whole band like a focus but in terms of the kick drum and the guitars and everything being focused around a rhythmic pattern and that being like the main focus of the band that was definitely i think that era of mashuga where like that and that totally 
would go to dominate the 2010s to where we're still well, no, no, going. I'm talking it. about. So, I know you're so, talking earlier. I'm just so, saying that influence. Yeah. So yeah. Like, so yeah. So the I'm saying that like the the aughts. I think that era, like my basic era of metalcore, mm-hmm. you know, Meshuga, those records were the main influence for that. Then you have uh, nothing came out, and that's when they started playing eight strings. Yeah, and that's when they started doing the songs got slower, mm-hmm. and it was all like the single note, do 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 yeah. do, do do, and so that so to me what you're i think that what obzin what happened was for my opinion mm-hmm. is they combined it all they yeah. actually brought back a lot of they had a few right but we with it's you have nothing you have catch 33 and yeah. you have that catch 33 I, was where they got a little more industrial well it's just what i'm saying is that's when they were real slow and yeah. weird and and but on obzin that's when it all came together yeah totally. they, they brought back speed Mm-hmm. So like that opening track, combustion, it's actually yeah. fast, and they they brought back you know more picking because they weren't really doing as as much stuff like that. Yeah, it was more sludgy. Yeah, so, and I totally it, I totally agree with like where you're saying like nothing was that, and I totally see that from because that was the album that that was the first album I heard from Ashuga, and like I liked it a lot. I was pretty young though, so it kind of maybe went over my head a little bit. But when um after obzin revisiting look back at it i i think that yeah totally like obviously i think where because misha's a little, a little older uh tosin's a little little older like they're not old obviously but they're like a little older and i think that that to them was definitely probably one of the biggest things but i think what i'm talking about is what like the newer bands like coming up after that like where where Deathcore stopped and where like Gent kind of began. Cause I was seeing like, you would see a band like Born of Osiris before Gent really had a name and you would see this style kind of coming in after Obzen. And it was like, there's something different about what these guys are doing versus what like Suicide Silence is doing, you know? And I think that it was not like after Obzen, what it really was like, okay, this is a sound and this is like go time from well, this no, point I th- on. I think it is the, in much of the same way the kill switch engage record everything was different from that day on i agree but i think it is a conf i'm I'm not disagreeing with you that it's not the more important record Mm -hmm. that it's not the better record that they wrote better songs and it was in many ways i'm sure to a lot of people the best sugar record um and a game changer and especially the song bleed it's just yeah it's insane um well i i just think it was more the culmination of a lot of things coming together and all of a sudden it's like in in when in many ways you can say that's the opening salvo of what gent would yeah. be they kind of reclaimed essentially this this thing and then you have this whole 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 rush of bands but anyway i think we just went that's a weird tangent we just went down so yeah. one of us is right i think it's it's kind of it's a it's a little bit irrelevant yeah, but, i think we're both probably pretty like right in that but but way. but the truth is mashuga has had so much of an influence on bands like uh, Acacia Strain. Yeah. Uh, you hear it now, like Architects and Whitechapel. Yeah. Um, Literally every band from yeah. 2008 on. Yeah. But what I'm talking about is this newer, their newer Mashuga sound. Yeah. Changing. Oh, after the burials, Ben, I have to. Yeah. After uh, the burial. I mean, we could literally do just the entire genre. You could call it gent. Progressive metalcore is another for people who kind of get confused by that term. That's usually what I say. Like you can just think of it as like progressive metalcore. But essentially, I think that. When the eight strings and stuff like that come to the party is when 
the at the gates thing kind of died. Yeah. And that's no when doubt. you start get to where we're still at to where I would say like it's evident in like newer Winds of Plague stuff. I think it's evident in Bad Wolves too. I remember the first time you showed me uh, the album before it came out. Like I was like, oh, cool. You guys have that like Meshuggah thing, but with like hooks, you know, yeah. and I thought that was great. And I think that we're still, we still probably have a few more years of that. Like, unless something's right. going to come out of nowhere, like. Right. They heard the best thing. So, someone, so as a comment said, they're a five finger gent punch. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, you know what? Yeah. It's pretty, pretty, pretty spot on. That's a, that's a t-shirt line. <laughs> yeah. Actually, that would be a fuck. I should make that. I should make that up. Like, I want you to do an R logo or their logo, but I should definitely, yeah. uh. Um, I should make that make that for myself. So this is kind of so I think during this period is essentially we have another splintering where essentially a lot of and I think this this goes to 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 the question and maybe I don't know if we should wait for the end of of this to actually make this point is you know did metalcore ever really die because I'm or or you know what happened to it I actually don't. Th- Here's what oh, actually how's here's, here's how I'm gonna explain it. I'm mumbling here. I've been here yeah. talking too fucking long. <laughs> um, I thought in the mid like 2005, 2006, I was like, this scene's like dried up. It's shot like into, creatively. Yeah, I just felt like everyone was kind of running the same things. I'm like, I think it's gonna. I don't think it's gonna be around anymore. Yeah. And then you had, you know, uh, as they dying kind of to make their best records, and all of a sudden. Um, uh, August Burns Red comes out of nowhere and they kind of blow up and then Parkway Drive comes out of nowhere and yeah. they blow up and I'm like yeah I don't think Metalcore is going anywhere and then at the same time then you have the gent scene then you have yeah. Deathcore then you have um, the kind of sceny bands yeah. and that so things kind of go off into all these directions my scene more or less the New Wave American Heavy Metal kind of goes away even though the biggest bands of it don't yeah go away which that happens with every yeah every metal, everything death metal everything yeah um so a lot of bands felt you know whether it was god forbid breaking up or bleeding through or shadows fall uh chimera we never talked about chimera because i was yeah. actually going to talk about a uh i was like it was, was it new metal core a thing because yeah. if, if it was they were they were that uh <laughs> i would put i would I would put them in with the y'alls to be new honest wave. yeah because when talking about new metal core i think that's when we start talking about the 2010s yeah so this is so this era is essentially where I, I feel like an old man. I'm like I'm shot. I'm out yeah. of it. These are the these are these are the new bucks, and this is where. So you didn't, now you're the host. You're gonna tell oh, me. Yeah. You're, gonna tell me, you're gonna tell me what what what, what happened. Yeah, this is this is. We gotta talk about attack attack, right? Yeah, we gotta talk about attack attack. Like 100. percent We have. So I think yeah, it's interesting because when you said talk about the the splintering of what happens, I would say. Like what I was saying earlier as like Deathcore being partially a reaction to because naturally what happens because it's happening right now in Metalcore again is that you have bands that start off a little more raw, a little more aggressive in whichever way that like whatever that means to you heavier, like less focused on maybe on the songwriting, more focused on the energy. And I think after you get a few years of that and bands start to like dull the edges out a little bit, focus a little more on the hooks, that kind of thing you get the reaction to it, which is a new sound heavier than before, which is where you get the suicide silences and the winds of plagues and the Casey strains and that whole scene. So I think you see that come out of metalcore is like the death metal influence really come in to where, yeah, and that you can talk about like maybe, yeah, maybe bands like, um, 
like All Out War and stuff like that had a bit of a death metal tinge to it. But it was All Out War sounds like fucking obituary. Yeah, totally. And I think then there like it it would be too much to talk about. But you got to talk about the subtleties of where death metal went and stuff like that, which. You get, I'll say, like bands like Suffocation and stuff like that. Their influence really becomes predominant around this time, like around the Blood Oath album, Decapitated which, as well. Decapitated, which is where you get like the Obzin thing too. It's like a clash of of all these different things kind of coming, and then you get these bands focused more on pushing the breakdown, pushing the extremity into new territories. Where I think like a band like what well, like the mentality for like a Winds of Plague, like coming from the like one of the bands who. Is in but you like, guys tune to E, right? Uh, the all the, everything before the last record is in E standard or drop D. That shit is so hard. <laughs> yeah, it, that's definitely a, an anomaly in that sound. But I never the songs are so heavy. You, you know what it is? Everyone gets super surprised by it. But I think what it is uh, is that the since we have orchestration and like we're an like or a symphonic deathcore band, like as everyone says. Um, there's a lot of low horns and there's a lot of low those low frequencies that like lower tuning produces that are still present in the yeah. music. And I think it kind of tricks people's ears a lot thinking that we're tuned so low when we're not. And, um, but yeah, I think the death metal influence coming in that extremity going, and then you get the opposite of that where emo is in its pr- like has been around for a while. The kids who were teenagers growing up on emo are now old enough to make their own music into heavier stuff. And I think then that's where you get the attack attack and this whole warp tour, like the sceny side of it, where you're talking about asking Alexandria, you're talking about um, sleeping with sirens. You're talking about all these different bands where the, the line starts to start to get like, is this still metalcore? And it, it's still called that. That's what I mean by metalcore being such well, a blanket so, term, you know? So I think this is really, so uh, Finn puts seniors, 2008, 2014. And the whole point I think of this is trying to tie the origins to what it is now yeah. and find like those those through lines and yeah. why i for example will mention the particular cave record or kill switch and because this is what it is it is now you know yeah. even though a lot of the you know you know according to finn i think he's right about this a lot of the bands have gone on to become red state rock yeah. um and active rock know. yeah but i think one thing he has kind of wrong or i want to say he has wrong I think when you're doing a video, you're doing an article like this, you kind of have to just use the stuff that supports your initial theory. And the and the his line of uh, of videos are called "What Killed the yeah, Mike." I think that's more of like a. But the truth title. is, you know, it's no, no, it's it's part of the series. So I I, yeah. I know if if he, he would probably agree with me in this regard. So I know he's not like he's not saying this is de- dead. It doesn't. Of exist Of course, anymore. he knows this. So yeah. I'm just you know just put out there, and I, I love him. I'm gonna get on the show. And we'll talk about whatever we want to talk about. But yeah. right now. We actually have the biggest metalcore band of all time still doing metalcore, and it's Parkway Drive. Oh yeah, Parkway Drive is the big like maybe not record sales wise. I'm sure Killswitch has sold more records, but if you look at, I look at big as who's selling the most tickets. Yeah, Parkway Drive is so big still. And guess what? They don't sing. No, they have they have a bit of singing on yeah, their new it's stuff. Like chanty. It's kind not of the focus though. But what I'm saying is, that band is still fucking metalcore yeah and they've they're the biggest they've ever been yeah so like i said not to kind of to to disfin but just to say i i think the the premise is just kind of not true i think it's in a way it's it's kind of amazing how it's persisted yeah so, so we have and in and even though well, you you can take a band like 
asking Alexandria or actually motionless and white. Are they, yeah. are, are they metal yeah. core? Yeah, I would say so. I don't know. I mean, well, to me asking, uh, to, so when we, when I like, we were just talking about like new metal core, like jokingly a second ago, I think that is actually a perfect representation of what the two metal core in the 2010s look like. And throughout like the, probably the most consistent thing throughout, like all the different varies under the metal core umbrella. Like it's, it's when kids who are like around my age, who grew up were little kids when Slipknot and Corn and Disturbed and all came out with their albums and that like got us into heavy music. Now that you become old enough to be the the people who dictate where this sound goes, it kind of goes back to like, well, like I think what Slipknot was doing back then is sick. Let's do that in a more modern sense. And I think that's when you kind of get the more focus on like the hooks and stuff and you get more focus on like groove, like the... Th- because the thrash element, when you're talking about when you get into the the scene bands and stuff like that, that kind of goes away a lot. And I think part of that is the new metal influence. And also when you're talking about even well, bands yeah, you, like... You sound... It's almost passe because it was funny. I was listening to Bullet For My Valentine, mm-hmm. right? Who I think, if you look at their beginnings, metalcore band. Yeah, totally. Um, And they kind of have that... That thrashy stuff really comes from the classics, like... Did you grow up on Metallica? Did you grow yeah. up on Megadeth? And that there's a big divide between my generation, which did grow up on that. And I think that's a big reason why the whole new wave kind of fell to the wayside because it was based in that yeah. thrashy roots where the new kids are kind of like, nah, man, I'm, my shit is Manson and fucking Linkin yeah, Park. And, where that's more based on groove or like, you know, and yeah. I think that's the- low tune. I'm telling you the tuning. Yep. I think, and it's, I've mentioned it on here but i'll mention it again that i think a big part of bad wolf success is the tuning of the guitars makes it and even and also the way just the sound yeah. of the guitars it sounds it doesn't have that really bright kind of you know that mid-rangey guitars yeah. you know i think that honestly too what one thing that uh artists around this time figured out were that something that low tuning does which even come coming from someone who plays in a band that a lot of songs are in standard e so i know this isn't true universally because tuning doesn't equal heaviness like how you write songs is what equals makes them heavy but there is definitely something to be said about the like physically because you see it in hip-hop now and as a like a someone who makes hip-hop beats like this is so clear to everyone who makes a beat it's not even it's not even a conversation but like low frequencies that like playing in rhythmics like seek like sequence together has a reaction on people that uh is why bands like corn and stuff like that i feel like partially got them so big is because of that and i think that this generation when you talk about like when you call like new metal core like that's a big part of it is that it's about like having those jump the fuck up riffs like that influence from slipknot and stuff like that and the in front core yeah (laughs) crunk core yeah dude that was like two people (laughs) that was like oh i forgot actually speaking of that i actually forgot one subgenre from the other one rap core we never talked about which which in the grand scheme is probably not that big of a deal but for me like i had uh anthony from e-town concrete in the show yeah it's like downset um, I guess you could throw Biohazard. Dire Hazard, Onyx was a was a hardcore band before they were a rap group. Really? Yeah. Yeah. They. They. Uh. But no, totally. I think too. If I were, if I was to go like go, Doggy Dog. Yeah. If I was to go deep down that rabbit hole, that's where music in general is right now. Like in in a lot of my world with like the what's called trap metal. Like it's a similar mentality of like kind of like what new metal was, where it's like 
blending metal and hip-hop music but this time it's from the hip-hop side of things versus the metal side where instead of a band being influenced by uh hip-hop and having that into their music it's producers and rappers being influenced by metal and like emo and all that stuff like so um that's kind of where this has led because a lot of those kids was like growing up on metalcore and stuff like that and you can hear it very predominantly when even in like the emo rap stuff which is one of the biggest forms of music which is funny to say you know like because a lot of times people who hear that term who didn't who aren't really paying attention to what's going on in the like this kind of world totally fine but um someone like a juice world who's one of the biggest artists in the world right now is talking about like escape the fate and talking about like under oath and stuff being like his biggest influences to why he's a singer you know and i think that is part of the metalcore legacy that we're seeing now which is partially why i even started participating in this it was because it was like kind of clear to me as someone because i've kind of always liked hip-hop since a little kid because my older brother was into it if you grow up on skating you know you watch skate videos it's predominant in it so i think too that's a big influence in terms of what the 2010s of metalcore looks like because of what trap music being the most popular form of music and like groove being the entire fo- halftime groove being the entire focus of that i think that really played an influence on the bands because you're seeing like where rap before was like get a little nerdy here but like the two four boom bat thing like that's more of a two-step beat um that gives way to the breakdown kind of beat which is like the snare on three halftime the whole time Got it. Did, did, i i could be wrong here but i i feel like dubstep had a big influence even though it's kind of a stop gap at, at this point because it's not as no totally dubstep early. is like the metal of edm basically yeah. i think that um it's important too to like kind of look at what else is going around like the metal world in terms of like popular music outside of it to see what's going on because a lot of times people like us who are in bands are usually the people who are more open-minded towards like music as a whole and aren't really like so much like i listen to this kind of music and this is the only kind of music i like you know where um a lot of times the people who make music are always looking for new stuff listening to all kinds of different genres so i think if you look at like what happened in rap music and people like waka flocka like making rap more aggressive in a similar way that like Amir writes breakdowns. Like the way I write 808 lines and like stuff is the exact same mentality that I take to writing a breakdown. You know, it's literally that. Even before it was that without heavy guitars. Now it's that with heavy guitars when you're talking about like the trap like trap metal thing. But anyways, so I think when we're talking about the 2010s, that's important. That's even important to understanding a band like Attack Attack and like the synth element and like those kind of, and the EDM element coming in. So I think you're starting to see like when social media comes around and like kids can now all of a sudden you don't have to be part of a scene in initial area to make a certain kind of music you can hear about it on the internet and then you can recreate it and you can mix all sorts of different things together and i think we're just right now seeing this like blender of like genres that you normally wouldn't think go together are going together and i think that's kind of partially relates to the story of where metalcore is you know yeah i mean i think it's one of the things we saw even going back to like the early 2010s was this essentially the the scene of kids that were into metalcore um were the kids that grew up on hip-hop culture so you started seeing that in terms of the fashion fashion the you know like you couldn't tell the difference between some guy singing in a metalcore band and was a a a new a new school rapper and Um, now like if you look at hip-hop 
Like if metal, if metal isn't the predominant genre in terms of like what people are listening to or rock in general, the fashion of it is the like shit right now and has been for a while. And this has been like an ever going thing since around where metalcore had the sea change of like the gent stuff and the scene stuff and like after post Mashuga, all that kind of stuff. Hip hop had a very similar sea change when you get like a group like Odd Future and um, Lil Wayne is a big example of that, of embracing like rock culture and fashion, like skinny jeans, ripped up band shirts. And it's just ever progressed more and more to where now kids who make hip hop music look like they're like grimy punk kids, you know, that dyed dreads, tattoos all over their face. Before this, I, the only people I would see with tattoos on their face were like the beatdown scene, you know? And I yeah. think that that has been really relevant to the story of where music is now because now you're seeing uh the kids who grew up on little wayne and mike kim and like kill switch you know and those kids like someone someone who i produce for his name scar lord who's one of the biggest people in the style he doesn't rap he scream he raps sometimes but it's a it's a probably 20 percent of what he does vocally the rest of it is screaming like he's in a metalcore band like the XXX who Tentacion who passed away this year, like he didn't invent that sound, but his album went number one and he has straight metal songs on that. Not like interpretations of metal songs with it. Like literally it sounds like a band. It's, it's real drums. It's someone playing a guitar riff and that album went number and it's him screaming. And that was a number one album. And you're seeing, yeah. And you're seeing like someone who like bones is the person who I prove who invented that like style who was screaming over where it wasn't the, the where it becomes less about rapping and it becomes like he doesn't have a band so he's screaming over these like dark like heavy trap beats and then it kind of invents something new but he's screaming like a metalcore screamer so i think that's partially where like that world went you know where because as active rock which i would say like i think with you guys you guys started out the way you are and I think that's worked so well for you. But I think in terms when you look at like maybe some bands, not all bands, but some bands who have fallen off super hard and what Fen was talking about in terms of like them becoming red rock states, like active rock to me means like metalcore bands kind of trying to play rock music as in a well, lot of ways. I don't ways. think they're trying. I think they're a lot of these bands are being really successful. I mean, oh, yeah, totally. Bring the Horizon yeah. in, in a way kind of started that trend because they just, yeah. they change with every record, but they're an arena band yeah now and i'm um, not talking about bring me like specifically yeah. that band i've loved every transition they've done i'm just talking about more when when the scene becomes older and it starts to dull its edges out and kind of like the metalcore bands start to go like okay like let's start focusing singing all the time more straightforward riffs like yeah that has a lot of commercial appeal to it but it can also have a backlash that i think a lot of bands are experiencing well, I, but at least i think with that scene it's a little overstated how for a lot of them like the like he put points at the boy bands with breakdowns they were trying to be mainstream kind of out the gate totally so it's so it like when i hear some you know uh i don't know if all, all these you know crown the empire or like you know probably you know issues is probably you know uh yeah another. i think issues falls more under the the gent cat progressive category yeah. but the bands they tour with are definitely that but their sound because i Disclaimer, I work with that band yeah. a lot, like on a creative sense. Or even Attila. Like, yeah. My, my point is, I, I'm not, I don't think it's that much of a stretch to see some of these bands doing what they're doing because they no. came out the gate basically like, hey, we're trying to blow up. Yeah, I don't you think know? so either. 
And um, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, as similar to as you saw what happened with the new wave of American heavy metal, and then like these different things coming in. That's what's happening to the seniors of metalcore is that the songwriting focus becomes center, which is great. Like that's, but at the same time. As the edges dull in a scene, something else has got to come under it and usually kind of like bump it out of its place. And I think you're seeing that happen right now where where he was talking about like the other side of the coin with you're talking about Knocked Loose, Jesus Peace, Sanction, Vemakara. Like, let, let's talk about that real quick. Okay. Because I, in a, in a weird way, I think, you know, he was putting a, a pin in it to say, hey, there's this really positive um, force going on there. Things have kind of, I would say in a weird way, things if i listen to those bands a lot of those bands it literally just sounds like it's the 90s again um which which is kind of funny where like i never would have thought yeah a band like disembodied would be so relevant right well relevant but all but just in like it's this weird way where it's like some hardcore kids went in like their uncle's tape bin and just found some some stuff and kind of you know some of it in, in a weird way i'm like Damn, these dudes are kind of just it's almost retro in the way that yeah. that like municipal waste is retro. Yeah, like no, it's, it's almost and it's and it's only that because I was there for that scene. So it's yeah. kind of weird because you're hearing it with just the production's a little better. What do they call that? Neo thrash, right? Yeah, Neo or rethrash. Yeah. Um No, I totally agree. I totally agree. I think that um I think that what you're seeing right now is um, this is this has been happening for a little bit too. This is more recently as the the some of these band the scene side of things has fallen off and like these other bands have been touring in this underground like it's like the new, that's where that's new. where Goliath was like that's kind of where I was like I mean our band doesn't really sound like that we kind of fell somewhere in between deathcore and beatdown but um, like I played shows with Knock Loose and like Code Orange when they were like Code Orange kids and like I've toured the country with like some of these bands that are popping now it just took a while for the industry to really recognize a well, lot the, of this the thing is i think when i see those bands and what i like about it and what even reminds me of the 90s even more late 90s is that there is a business out there but i get the feeling from these bands is like yo we're here for the music we're here for the culture yeah it's, it, it has so much credibility yeah and kind of realness factor well, to it that, it's the that, counter to the rock star thing. Yeah, yeah you know i think as that like predominated itself and a lot of the the kids who are playing this kind of music grew up on the sceney stuff and i think eventually as those when i'm talking when i'm when i'm talking about like the counter of that i think you had a lot of kids who are like growing up on the sceney stuff and then when it gets to the point where they're making these bands and stuff as that doled out more and more they kind of lost interest and they kind of went back and looked at some of the older stuff and we're like oh this is sick but i think that too there's a unique there is a uniqueness to it this doesn't exist in every band but it seems to be the thing that's kind of really starting to really dominate and if you want to talk about where metalcore goes to the 2020s i think this is probably a pretty safe bet just judging as like you got to look to the underground to see what's going to pop up next as like a predominant thing when you look at like the code oranges you look at like the harm's ways and stuff like that there's like this nine inch nails industrial element that they're mixing in with that, that I, I never heard anyone from the nineties do it quite like that. And I think that that's the reinvention that you're getting, you know, is that you're getting, um, as technology, I think technology has a big role to play in this too, as music becomes more digital, which is an inevitable thing. You're going to get bands who aren't afraid. And that was a thing too, in the, in the 2010s that I feel like was a dividing line was like the introduction to, we have like, 
synths and we have like pads and like orchestration and all these things that are not just like underlaying part of our sound it's like a big part of our sound and that's where like it's one of the things like why attack attack got so big because i think that's what you hear in popular music you know and kids are hearing that in popular music so when they hear it in metalcore like a lot of younger kids aren't mad at that but then you get like people who've been around for a while who are probably a little more like this isn't like right this isn't my kill switch you know which is kind of funny but i think that you are seeing that a little yeah bit. i mean i think like i said i mean um bleeding through we kind of they, they really were instrumental in doing stuff like that under oath yeah uh was, was doing stuff like that in terms of bringing keys and, and things yeah. but i i think it, it is really about moving it moving forward and i think you know i had an idea of of what i thought um coming into this but i think you've given me you know a bit more of scope in terms of like where it's at now and and, and where it's going i would i'm under the impression that even though that I think what Finn was saying is the latest that latest version of the scene has more or less kind of dissipated, but I I do think there's a lot of sustainability. Like I said, and I'm going on record, the biggest metalcore band of all time is is at their peak. So Parkway Drive, yeah, yeah, and I'm you know and I and I think it in in many ways like um you know all these little subgenres, mathcore or fashioncore or new wave American heavy metal. Metalcore, the one thing that people that rarely bands want to identify as, seems to be pretty unstoppable. That yeah. is, that that is a thing. It's it's just because I think it's it's like thrash metal, like punk rock, like these kind of just uh, umbrella, these, like yeah, these, big exactly. statement terms. Yeah, they just kind of do things that get people. Like you know what I like. It's like fucking peanut butter and chocolate man they just yeah. like they, it just it just works and and because of that i don't think it will have different faces but it, i don't think it's going anywhere yeah. well i think soon. i don't think so i think what you guys are doing is partially a future of metalcore where i think it splinters with bands going more in like the kind of rock ish no i don't i don't i still see it as metal i don't well, really well what we did i'll be honest i actually think we've done something that no one else has done and it wasn't totally on purpose it kind of happened that way um, in a lot of ways, what Five Finger did with theirs, because to me, Five Finger took new metal and the new wave of American heavy metal and put them together. Yeah, absolutely. And what we did was we took gent and kind of, I guess, rock or radio yeah. rock or commercial music and yeah. then put that together. And it, it, it hasn't really been where we basically will have super heavy songs, but then also have yeah a rock song on the same record and but the the big difference this is why like i said not not that people haven't done it is that we did it on our first record yeah we didn't wait we didn't start out that's what i wanted to talk to you about that too because i think that's where you guys really went right with that well it well it was like i said when i say it happened by accident i mean that essentially we were we had a record um which was i really had very little to do with uh when i joined the band and we were searching for a record deal and eventually we linked up with Zoltan mm -hmm. and he put, you know, and eventually we got with 11.7. And because we were on this big label that had this great radio department and we had him, you know, Zoltan really came in and started like, you know, giving us feedback. Like, all right, we need this kind of, this is great. This is not like, he yeah. was so we, and we had about six months between we signed the record deal and the album came out. Okay. So it basically gave us time to massage the record into to what we wanted it to be yeah. because if we would have signed with nuclear blast there's a good chance we would have 
actually went the other direction and made yeah. the album heavier because they might a label like that might have had the ability to right. get a record out there and so it just worked in our favor where almost all the major tracks um whether it's officer down the opening song uh no masters yeah. which is track i think four four or five something like that um or track three um hear me now mm-hmm. uh remember when all the major songs were all put together in that last few months oh okay so so we had a whole other record so if you hear like the b-sides that was originally going to be the record oh okay and so we so we basically made you know we had this kind of proggy cool like yeah. you know genty thing but it, it had melody and it was it you know it was really kind of irreverent yeah. and had some really cool musician stuff uh musicianship stuff going on and then we kind of turned it more into of, of a mainstream metal yeah. record but so it was a kind of a, a combination I, of that i think too when you're talking about like the like where metalcore goes into the 2020s i definitely think you guys are an example of that and i think so you think battles is metalcore i mean i think you guys are uh if if the very least a product of what like so, just from a sonic perspective of what where metalcore was and what has been happening in metalcore yeah. i think what where a lot of bands when we're talking about like bands becoming like active rock or whatever which to, to me is like metalcore bands kind of playing rock music a lot of bands are in their fifth like sixth record and that's when they're starting to make the pivot that you guys made on your first record because like there was a period where bands started out just all scream, a lot mainly screaming, and then they kind of singing crept in more and more, you know. And then it gets to a point where they were also doing like the gent thing. Like a lot of those metalcore bands were like that, which is where like if we're talking about like like a band like Issues, which is a good example, I feel like um, that band musically has so much more in common. They're a progressive band. Like that band has so much more in common musically with like a um, periphery an um like a volumes like the gent side of things than they do with like sleeping with sirens because essentially what they're doing is they're mixing like r&b like and they're mixing like progressive metal and they're mixing all these different genres together in a pot but they have an r&b singer and they have a mashuga rhythmic sense with like rm with like a stevie wonder melodic sense so i think you're seeing like all these bands like trying out different versions and like that's where i think the internet and the social media comes into play where everyone's just throwing genres in a pot and just like mixing it up and seeing what happens and sometimes it's resulted in great stuff so i think like with what you guys did was kind of something that was almost i think at the point like yeah like of course a band like bad wolves can exist now because we've had this history of like all this stuff leading up to like what you guys are doing now where it's like the gent thing, which um, to me is progressive metalcore, like as an easier sense, mixed with hooks. And I think that was just like inevitable for a band like you guys to come around on your first record instead of on your like fifth record when you've had this whole growth period, you know? And like some fans are leaving some of the bands that have fallen off, like not Bring Me, because Bring Me has been a totally different example, but like, you know, it exists. Like some fans are leaving that. And I think some bands are just kind of lost at sea blind, kind of like, okay, where do we go from here? And I think for you guys as an example, the new bands, which the same on the other side of the coin, I would say like bands like Knocked Loose and Code Orange because they're doing great. I, was, I would also bring up Architects. Architects, yeah. Because one of my favorite bands. I think there's genty elements there, but I still think they're a metalcore band. Yeah. And, but doing things really interesting with with the, uh, with the subgenre and kind of 
it's I always say like you you have you have a big band and they develop a sound and then they shift right yeah. they go a different direction that always opens up a lane for another band to kind of step in the shoes. So what happened with that was after Sempaternal, uh, Bring Me kind of went in this more pop direction, yeah. and then Architects was able to kind of slip yeah. right into that lane. Which Architects th- had the Sempaternal sound pre Sempaternal, like that's a big part of I think why Sepaternal sounds the way it does. Or you think it was a reverse? Uh, oh, oh, totally. I think that Architect, like if you listen to the. Uh, I forgot the name of it, but the album that came out like a year before Sepaternal, like it's that. It's uh, it's like Bring Me definitely refined it. But I think when you listen to like All Our Gods Have Abandoned Us, it's kind of like what would have happened if Bring Me went in a heavier direction, you know, which All Our Gods Have Abandoned Us is one of my favorite metalcore records ever. But that's what but that's part of my point that I think the genre is as relevant and ban- even like a tray who just did this tour a headline tour they sold out almost every show yeah uh, band ice nine kills is killing yeah. it i think what finn's talking about when he says that though is in terms of like that, I don't, era, that era yeah i don't think he's talking about like bands that have been around for a while and been popular and are going to continue to he's talking, I think he's talking about bands starting right now yeah. you know and i think that uh that's where you're gonna see i think if i'm if i'm like guessing what the 2020s are going to be for metalcore or just heavy music in general i think that you're that's what you're going to see are bands that come out that kind of take your guys's approach that's going to be like okay let's do like the hooks and stuff like that focused right out the gate you know and i think that's going to be rewarding to a lot of bands that probably come behind you and i think you're going to see a lot of bands that take like the approach that like what knock loose and code orange are doing where it's like i think people are into more authentic stuff nowadays and i think what they're as the scene bands kind of like edged, like dulled their edges out, like the authenticity went away. And then that's when a band like Code Orange just fucking steamrolls through them. Like we're from the scene. We've been grinding for this long. We're like this good. And that's why like we're getting cosigns from everyone, you know? Or it could be who the young kids that are being inspired by Code Orange and Harm's Way and, and those bands and that, that next group. Yeah, will be kind of pushed through it. Maybe it'll be like cyclical. I think so, and I think that too. Like what you're seeing too, in terms of, I think that I I think that metal might need to do a good a little bit of a better job of this is recognizing too, like the the stuff. I mean, I might be saying this as like coming from an insider perspective on this specific scene, but with like where the emo rap stuff and like the trap metal stuff comes, I think that like kind of taking a step back and being like, okay, like where is rock music right now? Why is rock music like this right now? Where are the new bands? You got to, you got to look at that. You got to be like, okay, what, what heavy stuff was doing for kids when we were kids is doing it for them now in this world. When you have like an X right in their face, they're screaming, they have heavy guitar riffs just because it's not a band doesn't really mean that like the kids who otherwise would have been into like metal aren't going to get into it. So I think that's really helping is going to can be helping depending on how much people embrace it. Cause I think you're going to start seeing all these mixed tours where you're like, who the fuck is this kid? Like, what is this? You know? And I think it's going to be a big shock to a lot of people in the rock world. But to me, just looking at the numbers, this is some of the biggest stuff that screaming has ever had in general, like not just talking about metalcore, but like, like someone like X, like who's a controversial figure, and I get it, but like just speaking from a creative sense, because I've seen the charts, some of them are dead, and this shit is still blowing. Yeah, and he has songs that are like hundred percent screaming, not like aggressive rapping like DMX, like metal screaming, and that is definitely something that I think uh, is going to be a wake up call. Like I think a lot of people are going to see like, oh shit, what the fuck, you know, as the twenty twenty start to roll in, 
And I think that's definitely something that maybe bands could embrace a little bit, you know, because it's similar because every generation goes through this. Like every time we have to go through this every time, like a new generation comes, the older generation doesn't understand the new generation kicks the older generation like out of its spot. And it's like everyone's sitting there like blind, like what the fuck happened when it's you can just like catch it early. It, there's another route I think that music can maybe take. Yeah. Well, I think that's a good place to wrap wrap it up. I think you um, are kind of pointing to this coalesce between uh, rap and metal in a yeah. different kind of way. And we're we're kind of seeing obviously some bands are evolving out of it, but then there's a lot of people to kind of fill fill yeah. those shoes. So I think the underground scene is in a great place. I think that like where the mainstream bands are going to be is in a great place, and I think where like the genres merge, like new metal could happen again. You know, like we could have a similar thing to that again. Which if you're not into that specifically, maybe all the stuff that like kids who get into that, which are going to get into bands, in their like later on it'll be a good thing as a genre as a whole and we can see like the rock thing come back more because of the hip-hop influence similar to what happened with new metal yeah. so i i think the future looks bright you know you heard it here metalcore lives thank yes, you mike forever Hey, you. Do you have any plans this year? Ha! <laughs> How's that going? Do you get 2020? Well, welcome to a brand new podcast called 2020, where myself, Benny Goodman, and my good friends, Corey Pazin and Siobhan Cronin from the band Lost Symphony, also got 2020. And since the world ended this year, we decided why not just check in with some of our friends in the music industry and see how everyone's doing. We're going to get a candid look at life on and off the stage, as well as the mindset of some of the most successful people in the entertainment industry. New episodes drop every Sunday and Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. And you can listen at 2020-D.com, SoundTalentMedia.com, or on your favorite podcast app. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network.